so this is the 59th episode of Sports Goose, and as always, Francisco joined with Andrew and Charles here in a very uh, wrestle-tastic episode today. We've had a few of those because, well, wrestling is the only thing going on right now. So we're 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 diving headfirst. Uh, we're we're spearing the, the the sports news world right now because uh, it's the only thing going on right now. So, uh, yeah. Uh, which much to people, much to, to the joy of Charles, because it allows people to to see what he sees in in the world of wrestling and enjoy it. So yeah, uh, how was uh, how was your last week, guys? And life in general, or just from the spectacularism of WrestleMania thirty six? Oh, life in general, and then we're definitely gonna we're we're definitely gonna get into the spectacularism of of WrestleMania. Well, for me, it was my first week working remotely. Um, so I, I, it was it was nice for me. When we spoke last time, it was only day two. Now we've completed the full work <laughs> cycle. And I was just kind of frazzled today that I had to put on a suit and tie to go to the office to do a virtual conference or a Zoom call. Yeah. Um, because it's so unknown to me. I'm like, what, what do you mean I can't wear my Venom t-shirt or my basically a smock as i'll call it like i'm some 1600 french uh equivalent of a janitor checking on a jailer basically um i had i had to shave a little bit but the baby viking hair still going okay Uh, just clean it up a little bit you know i figured with video conferencing it's not as you you don't look like the hunchback of notre dame you don't look like quasimodo so it allows me to kind of really just have fun with it because it's just an experiment I mean, it all feels like a big global experiment of who's going to eat each other anyway in their household, so might as well grow some facial hair. Maybe people develop an allergy to me, but I liked it. I played a lot of video games. I beat, like, three video games last week. Guacam- <laughs> uh, Guacamelee 2, Crash Bandicoot 2, and Link's Awakening. Yeah. Um, contributed to be because of the fact that two of those games are extremely short and you don't really have a social life. And I got to watch some WrestleMania, which we'll touch up on in a second. And I keep getting to do the show with you guys. So all in all, for me, it was good. Alrighty, Andrew, what's going on with you? Uh, well, the past three months have been uh, have been pretty interesting. Apparently, someone told me it's only been a week, uh, <laughs> but um, it's I mean more of the same. Uh, yeah. Been working remotely for uh, apparently three weeks now. Um, or I'm entering my third week. Um, I think I've been outside, maybe outside meaning like doing errands. I don't yeah. count like uh, chores or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably twice during this whole thing. Um, although I really haven't been outside much, period. So I kind of enjoy it whenever I do um, I'll, I'll, I'm going to save this next part for my non-sponsor okay but, um, I've well part of it but I've been playing a lot more video games which is mm-hmm. kind of a blessing and a curse yeah yeah um, yeah so yeah it's it's weird times man really weird times yeah I uh, I went up to West Palm Beach to visit my family because I hadn't seen them in more than a month. 
So that was good to kind of get away from here, be someplace else, uh, see my, my nephew, my niece, and, and everything. So it kind of cleared my head. Uh, and, uh, you know, quelled my, my fears of the apocalypse, you know. So, but uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's weird times. Things are... Things are different, that's for sure, and hopefully this doesn't become the new normal. But uh, yeah, yeah, I've uh, I, I've been playing a lot of video games too, and working remotely, and uh, yeah, I mean, same old, same old right now. All right, so uh, in the background we've got uh, Legends of Wrestling 2, which I think released for like the PS2 and the GameCube. So, uh, Charles, uh, Andrew, we've got uh, several different options here on the screen. We'll have it in the background as we get our WrestleMania discussion on. So, uh, Charles, uh, what shall we do to have this in the background? Uh, well, um, <clears throat> well, since we're going to go with the WrestleMania feel, I feel like the best idea is just to give us a good old one-on-one -on -one versus here. Okay. Because there was a lot of one-on-one uh, -on -one matches that were going on compared to other WrestleManias. All right, so let's see. We've got a got an all-star classic list of characters here or, or wrestlers. We've got Hulk Hogan, Brett the Hitman Hart, Scott Steiner, Andre the Giant, Rowdy Roddy Piper, Sid Vicious, Ted. I keep messing up this guy's name. Ted DiBiase. DiBiase. Okay, there you go. Uh, Terry Funk. Jimmy Superfly Snuka. Jerry the King Lawler. Bob Backlund. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. George the Animal Steel. Superstar Billy Graham. Eddie Guerrero. Let's keep going here. Uh, got I'm surprised he would be in that one because I don't think he had passed by then. Hmm. Rocky Johnson, uh, Mill Mascaris, Doctor Death, Steve Williams, Bam Bam Bigelow, Mister Wonderful Paul Orndorff, uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Iron Sheik, Nikolai Volkov. Don Morocco, Road Warrior Animal, Road Warrior Hawk, Rick Steiner, Carrie Von Eric, Mr. USA Tony Atlas, Brian Pillman, Harley Race, Yvonne Koloff, The Sheik, Sabu. Oh, there's a lot more in this game than there was the first one. It probably got a lot of people to agree to it. Yeah. And then bam. Yeah, which yeah. is to our benefit. Yeah, get your money, get your money's worth, right? Tito Santana, Ivan Putski, Kevin Von Erich, Fritz Von Erich, Rick Martel, Cowboy Bob Orton, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, One Man Gang, Baron Von Raschke. Uh, let's see, Dory Funk Jr., Coco Beware, Dynamite Kid. Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson. There's a bunch of guys that are have to be unlocked there too that I see there. Uh, let's see the last ones here: David Von Erich and Michael Von Erich. That's it. 
That's all we I'll got. Move on, Eric's just there. Well, since it's WrestleMania, I would say let's make WrestleMania 3's main event happen, which was Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant. Okie dokie. Oh, he's got different costumes, too. Hmm. So we've got that. That. And that. So which one? Uh, we will probably go with the first one. The first one? Just Yeah, just because the fourth one is NWO... Hulk Hogan, which as great as it is, is not uh, not what we're doing. We're mimicking. We're doing a basically a simulation of the past to see if it'll work again. Okay. So Andre the Giant, not much different with regards to his look, I guess. I guess the first one, right? Just a big boy. Okay. And who should be referee? Um... Mm-hmm. Now this one, can we get a random? Do they let us, or do we have to pick? Because it'll be very interesting. Uh, I could have created a character, but we don't have time for that. Oh yeah, let's. Uh, I'll just let's. I'll just spin my controller around, and we'll get somebody. There we go. There. All right. Ready. Indeed. Let's do it. Okay. So, uh, you know what? This is uh, this is your show, Charles. Go ahead, take it over. All right, so I'll just do the the you know the prelude or the preface is everything. Welcome to the hour long cage, the WrestleMania cage, the Wrestle Cage edition. Well, it's about wrestling. That's right. what we're gonna call it today. Mm. So with every disclaimer, wrestling is not fake. It is scripted. It is a dance. It is a ballet. It is poetry. Emotion is about men and women chasing titles. It is about men and women just beating the holy hell out of each other for pride for revenge for somebody calling him an old man and say he should die and retire and it's just about pure old wrestling fun or other words sports entertainment Mm -hmm. because what does the wwe stand for world wrestling entertainment and what was this weekend wrestlemania which tries to be the perfect breed of 50 percent wrestling in the eyes of vince mcmahon and 50 percent of entertainment to the eyes of vince mcmahon hopefully everybody else that is you know, in the same connection as Vince McMahon. That being said, for everybody who's out there listening, it wasn't just me who watched WrestleMania. Aside from a whole bunch of other people, our very own Andrew got to see what the modern day times in WrestleMania was. There was a couple matches I know you were invested in. So Andrew, I think how I'm going to lead this instead of attacking the cards, which we'll attack in a second, tell me how it was to be an outsider now learning the cool secret handshake initiation for everybody that is a wrestling dweeb like myself <laughs> tell me <laughs> what you felt when you entered the Thunderdome. i mean um i don't want to say that i'm a complete new because you know i i grew up maybe not as invested in it as you but um, you know, a neighbor of mine was a huge wrestling fan. Um, he was actually friends with um, Larry Zabisco. What? You know that name? The living legend. So, you know, I went over to his house a lot. We played uh, SmackDown vs. Raw 2006. Um, you know, there was a book in my middle school library that was a, kind of all of the superstars uh, so I'm not completely a noob to it and um, you know recently I've kind of been watching a lot of Attitude Era matches 
but nothing, you know, I haven't watched a live event like WrestleMania before. So it was weird because um, there was no audience. But it was kind of cool in a way to be sort of a part of such a big event, even if uh, there was no one really there, but there were millions of people watching. So that was kind of cool. And, you know, seeing all the reactions afterward on Twitter, I was like, hey, I know what they're talking about. You were one of us now. I was chanting in the background. So let's dissect a little bit. WrestleMania for the first time and it's 36 years of an inception was two nights. It had been something that's done very similarly earlier in the year with Wrestle Kingdom with New Japan Pro Wrestling. And normally during WrestleMania weekend, you would have the NXT TakeOver, which is the the minor brand, as we call it, the developmental, even though Triple H would probably gouge my eyes out for saying that, but it's true. Uh, they would have their pay-per-view. It was supposed to take place in Tampa. All the pay-per-views were. Uh, over the weekend, which I would have gotten at least the takeover, even though it would have robbed me of my monies so I could see certain things that were promised to me, but now we didn't have it. So instead, Vince said, you know what? I'll give you Saturday and I'll give you Sunday. And then we're going to, there was about 16 matches and you guys can't see me because, you know, the term matches are finger coded very heavily based on two of them. (laughs) Uh, But it was their opportunity to go from there. And I got to tell you, I've been wanting two nights of WrestleMania, not because I'm a huge wrestling fan, but because it really cuts the pace up very well, in my opinion, if you have the right kind of start point and end point. So I'm hoping that this pandemic, for what it's worth, gives some kind of some balance to the future or some idea what the future could be. Mind you, how that affects future takeovers, which I love me some NXT takeover, I don't know, but... Smack or SmackDown Raw and bits of NXT always kind of pepper into the pay-per-views because they're co-joined pay-per-views, so you might as well go into it. That being said, for Francisco, for Andrew, and for everybody else, my take was I liked it. I liked the WrestleMania both nights. I thought night one was better than night two for certain reasons that we'll get into in a second. Um, The lack of crowd can hurt, but these are professionals for the most part. So what allowed it to do was make a very intimate personal setting. So if you had a blood feud and you had the right guys wrestling against each other, being able to really talk that smack or spew that vitriol that they have each other, Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins, you really got invested. Or if you had the crap heel, like Sami Zayn, who's just basically trying to avoid getting hit up. And then once he's finally caught, he's like, please don't hit me, don't hit me. And then when you have matches where people have no build, like Aleister Black and Bobby Lashley, you're like, all right, I'm watching a typical TV show match. So you, with any kind of WrestleMania or any kind of big four pay-per-view, such as Royal Rumble, Survivor Series, and um, SummerSlam, you're always going to get a lot of positives and not negatives, but very like mild kind of reactions. And even that happened in WrestleMania. Night one, Francisco was just beautiful in every sense and we're just going to take it from the top there first and foremost being is that goldberg is no longer a universal champion i do not care if it was a five minute match that had no story build because roman reigns was pulled because he didn't want to compromise his immune system or he didn't want to compromise others Mm. i don't care i like me some roman i like me some braun braun Strowman was the last minute guy and after the first spear i'm like ah crap and then came another spear. I'm like, ah, crap. I'm like, there's no way Goldberg can lift Strowman up. He's 53. He's in great shape, but I don't think he has that strength. And all of a sudden, Strowman just kept kicking out of the spears. And mm. I was like, you know what? 
power slam, power slam, power slam. And in like three minutes and 35 seconds, it was over. The nightmare was done. Goodbye. <laughs> it, it was just, I felt like Trunks destroyed the androids and the timeline and he killed Cell. I felt achieved because it was, there's a lot of potential here. And the best thing about WrestleMania for me as a fan is I could think about all the other storylines that could branch through uh, in the future. But for my purpose, it's to rectify not a mistake, but a creative lapse of judgment. Because mm. I understood the idea that The Fiend was too big to hold a title, and you want to put the title on the wrestler and let the character that is like The Fiend just kind of do Fiend matches. I perfectly get it. I understand that. It's just for it to be Goldberg who – and mind you – I don't mind part-time wrestlers. I know a lot of fans hate the fact that WWE always kind of puts the main things on part-timers and doesn't generate new stars. Well, it's a twofold because if you crap on every new star that WWE is trying to make, you're going to be stuck in this predicament, right? If they're trying to tell you and spoon-feed you, you should like Roman Reigns, you should like Seth Rollins, you should like Dean Ambrose, which people did, but things happened, a creative, Vince McMahon, and like all these people, and you don't like that we're giving you this medicine – and you're spitting out the medicine even though it's going to be good for you or it's like just drinking you know your ovaltine or eating your gerber baby okay. food and you spit it out then how can we help you so of course you can cling on to the past and nostalgia and here's mm -hmm. another truth about wrestlers wrestlers will die in the ring man i mean th there's no typical retirement age so as long as the money's good the merchandise is available and the fan base is there why wouldn't you keep coming back hell sabu is probably still wrestling in bingo halls kind of reminds me of in uh always sunny in philadelphia the wrestling episode yeah, Roddy Piper. That, yeah. That's, but that's the literal truth, though. A lot, the, you saw Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson of the Rock and Roll Express. Guess what? They're still wrestling. They were NWA tag team champions for a while. NWA is a smaller promotion that came on. They did some stuff over Ring of Honor because it's a living. You know, I always equate it to like a car and a circus, but it's also not just a way of life, but it's a means of making money. So wait, so that guy, why, that guy in Always Sunny, was a real wrestler? Roddy Piper. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, it was. It was I mean, Roddy yeah, Piper. I'm a noob, so I wouldn't have known that, but yeah. Yeah, but he was just acting. But that's the that's the joke. If you yeah. want to see like the downside of wrestling, watch the movie The Wrestler with Mickey Rourke and Marissa Tomei, because it's really going to portray to you how some of these guys have their claim to fame and they just eclipse out. You know, Ric Flair was going at it till he's like 62, so mm. has it been nine years? Some it, it maybe not at 60 but close to 60 so a lot of these guys if they were surgically cooler they go like i'll tell you right now if hulk hogan got the thumbs up and people wanted him you'll be seeing hulkamania running wild on the fiend and just leg dropping him and vince would give him the one two three so fans still want to see the appeal the problem is is i don't want to see all my heroes old age and broken but bring mm. it back to goldberg he lost this is fine because the universal title has been cursed since its inception like three years ago because finn balor the inaugural champion Separated his shoulder out for six months. Then came Kevin Owens, and guess what? You couldn't really build an Owens storyline where he was strong. And guess who did he lose that Universal title to? Goldberg. And then Goldberg loses it to Lesnar at Mania, and so on and so forth. So it had its inconsistencies, but that was like a big highlight. I mean, granted, there's a bigger highlight on night one because that's how we're gonna do it, Francisco. We're gonna separate night one, night two. So we're just going on night one right now. Um, highlights of the night for me, uh, match-wise. The SmackDown Tag Team Championships of John Morrison, Kofi Kingston, and Jimmy Uso, 
I didn't know if it was going to work completely because it's a gimmick match. There's props being used, and a ladder match is really like the excitement of a fan. But you're hearing the smack talk of Kofi and hearing the smack talk of Jimmy Uso, and then John Morrison had zero margin forever, and he's landing moves I, I didn't think were possible. And you're hearing the clanking of the aluminum ladders going off, and it was such a good investment. And here's the thing. That match should have failed because, Francisco, there was only three guys in there, and there should have been six. It was a tag team match, and what happened was the Miz got sick they quarantined him and they said all right instead of making a, a fill-in partner because they probably actually didn't have anybody really fill in at this point or making it a five-man match where two tag teams and then just John Morrison they said we're just gonna take each guy and they took each athletic guy and they went and it was just exhilarating the spots were amazing the bumps were painful and the ending wasn't cheap but it was earned other match I liked is, and this is really the setup to me, is the Intercontinental Championship match. It was Sami Zayn versus Daniel Bryan. This is Sami's first title defense as Intercontinental Champion. He's going against Daniel Bryan, who's a fan favorite, a favorite of mine too. I love me some Sami Zayn, but for those expecting a technical wrestling clinic, you did not get that. Instead, what you got is that villain heel, the and you know shit heel, as they say, mm. who wants to avoid everything he could. He's coming in dressed up like a Fidel Castro kind of look if you see his attire because he looks like his moniker is the Great Liberator. And what does he do? He works on the benefits of others because his buddy Cesaro and, and Shinsuke Nakamura are helping him out. So he's avoiding it. He And there's no audience, so you can actually hear his crap talk where he's like, come on, come on, I, I got to give him time. I got to give him time. And Brian's like, get in the ring, man. Just get in the ring. So you're getting this ring psychology that works effectively well. And then you get a surprise ending where Sammy retains because Daniel Bryan mistimed a you know dropkick from the top and he just gets a luba kick. But it's a feud continuer. You saw a lot of that. You saw the feud's going to continue for Becky Lynch versus Shayna Baszler, which I thought that match was going to suck. I thought that match was going to benefit from not having a crowd because Shayna is not my cup of tea because I've seen her take over pay-per-view matches. And I thought she's always kind of lacking something because her ring skills are very, not limited, but they're just basic. They're similar. They're there, she's not doing anything to kind of entice the crowd, but here she kind of she kind of you know jumps to the occasion. So I'll eat some crow on that. But for me, two highlights because this is how I have to go for it. Because there was other matches that were fine, like the women's tag team match was fine. Elias and Corbin was fine. They're just matches, right? The best match of the night was Kevin Owens versus Seth Rollins. I know what you're gonna say, Andrew, and I'm gonna get to it. We're gonna get to it. Don't worry, we're gonna get to it. The best match of the night was Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins. You had a four-month feud, nearly five-month feud, culminate, culminate into something beautiful. It was deeply personal. It was it was basically the build of – because Seth Rollins became the Messiah. He was the Monday Night Messiah coming in like this false prophet. His entrance, he's wearing this weird ring garb. You just want to punch him. And for KO, it was at this point where I wanted down this false god – and then also get my WrestleMania moment because every time I've had that opportunity, I haven't been able to, you know, succeed. So they're going back and forth. The match is doing very good. It's hitting its spots. The trash talk is what's making it personal. Uh, Seth Rollins is calling Owens saying, you fat piece of crap, all this other stuff that happens. And then what happens? Kevin Owens being the underdog, the babyface, is starting to get over. He's starting to pull over. He's starting to bring it all together. And then Seth Rollins doing a pure heel move gets himself disqualified by hitting Kevin Owens with the ring bell, robbing him of his WrestleMania moment. And I'm like, oh, man, like if the fans were there, they would have been like, ah, and they would have got a lot of heel heat on Seth because this match was the match I was most concerned about, about not having an audience mm. because the crowd respects Seth as a talent, but they hate him as a character, so it was a perfect meshing. And then it just went from 
a weird ending to something fantastic. Because then what happened is you have Owens get on the mic and say, no, 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 we're not going to do this like this. Come back here. Let's finish this. No disqualifications. And then the trash talk, uh, you know, intensified. There's a point where Seth Rollins has a chair and he's hitting Owens with the chair. And as Owens is going to hit, he's just going to him. He's like, you're and Owens is just screaming to him as he's getting a chair saying, you're a little bitch. You're a little bitch. You know, he, he's just saying that to him. something antagonizing. And then the full story comes circle. He hits Rollins with the bell. Rollins is on the table, and then Owens goes up to the WrestleMania sign, probably you would say, what, Andrew, 20, 25 feet up, and then just elbow dives off of it, that, connects it. That's what I have as the as the, the episode uh, title background for today. And, and what a good title to kind of work on because I loved it. And then he rolls him inside the ring, and all of a sudden he's just sitting there like, Kevin, please don't do this. You don't have to do this. He's begging, and then comes the stunner and the one, two, three, getting WrestleMania moment. That was the best match in life. Match, best match of night. Now, for the greatest experience I have ever had in a WrestleMania match is the Boneyard match with the Undertaker and AJ Styles. And I thought we were going to have a ring match months ago when this was talked about. They had already met at Super Showdown. Taker came in, squashed AJ, went from there. It's done. Then this thing opens. It's at a graveyard, Francisco. And then there's a coffin. There's the Undertaker's music coming in. And I'm like, all right, fine. We're going to get a little bit of the usual. But then outside the casket, <laughs> when he's coming out of the hearse, it's just AJ smiles, <laughs> Styles with a beautiful, punchable face. And he smiles like, all right, let's do this. And then Taker comes in as a combination of the American Badass and then the Undertaker himself, because he was the American Badass back in 2001, 2002. Uh, but I call him Biker Taker, right? Everybody does. He's coming in on Metallica now that we're dead, strolling into it. And it. I felt, and you were on the Facebook uh, the Facebook group chat, Francisco, so you just saw a lot of my live reactions and Andrew's live reactions. And I felt like I saw the wrestling version of the movie Logan, starring Hugh Jackman as Wolverine doing the last <laughs> ride. And I, it had, I, I, I don't even know what words can experience this amount, except for an old cowboy going his last ride, beating everybody down, because it just kept getting more ridiculous, but more intense. Druids appeared out of nowhere. Gallows and Anderson said, hey, old man, we're not done yet. And Taker's like, screw it. He beats up the Druids. He punches in the face. He hits people. He breaks like the uh, the hearse window, and then his elbow's sticking out. I was like, oh, that sucks. And that's it. And then, like, AJ gets the upper hand. He's like, you should just retire, old man. I'm going to end your career. And then Taker's giving him the middle finger. And then they're on top of this old raptor and all this other stuff. Or on top of the barnyard. And then there's a scene, Francisco, because you understand the character of the Undertaker. He's kind of supernatural, right? Mm. So Taker looks like he's about to be buried alive. It's about to be over. AJ's all smiles and stuff. Because AJ Styles does something great. He has a punchable face when he's a heel. Like, I would want to <laughs> smack his mama for creating this man. And Taker's like, I'm about to bury you. Because he's on the little, he's on a little like loader and he's about to load the dirt. And all of a sudden Taker just mysteriously comes out of nowhere. And then like the meme's already popping. But people are like, it's like the meme is 2020, it's AJ, and then COVID-19 is Taker in the background. I'll send it to you. We'll laugh together if I have not already sent it. Um, but then he's like shocked, and then it becomes this whole like destruction of Luke and uh, Luke Gallows, Carl Anderson, AJ Styles, and anybody who stands to Taker's way. So Taker's just destroying AJ. He choke slams him off a barnyard. He goes down. He's picking AJ up, and then he's Taker's trash talk is fantastic. 
mind you, this is no crowd. This is its own pre-shot, pre-edited Academy Award-winning film, award-winning film known as the Boneyard Match, where Mark Calloway playing the Undertaker will win an Academy Award. I don't care, send a Vince, do it. There's no movies in theaters anyway. Someone's got to win something. And he's like, "What's my wife's name?" Say my wife's name, because the idea of this feud was just breaking character, calling Undertaker by his real name, saying that he's doing all this stuff because his wife and he just wants to collect a paycheck. So he's like, it's like, say my wife's name. Hey, call me an old man again. Call me an old man. Tell me all this stuff. And then AJ's just like pleading for his life. And he's like, please don't bury me. Like he's about to get ready. He's like, please don't bury me. And then Taker just hugs him, pats him on the back of the head. He's like, you did good, kid. I'm not going to hurt you. You did good. You did great. You, you gave me a hell of a fight. I'll give you that. And he turns away. And then also he turns around and gives him the Sparta kick from oh 300. <laughs> and then he just falls in there. And then he loads the dumpster or the, the compact or whatever hell it is, a loader. I don't, I'm not uh, that kind of guy. I don't know what it is. He just buries him. And you just le see, like, Taker get on his bike. He summons fire or lightning, and his symbol comes up, and he rides off into the sunset. And then you see AJ's dead hand sticking out. And I sat there, and, like, I don't know what came over me. Because when I originally saw it, I was like, this is stupid. And I'm like, this is the greatest thing I ever saw. And it was an experience, and I have such the pleasure of knowing it that I want to see it again. I can't <laughs> stop talking about it. I'm sending it to you guys. I'm sending it to my other friends. I'm like, this This is just great because, one, it made it into a personal fight. Two, it helped kind of take the, the bad that's been taken the last couple of years away from it. It takes away his match with Goldberg at Super Showdown. You're seeing a pattern. Anytime I mention Goldberg, bad things happen. Uh, it takes away that terrible match where he got concussed and Goldberg concussed himself. Mm. It takes away the old kind of like dog that needs to be put down. Instead of getting old Yeller, what we got was old Cujo. And it, it showed this kind of intensity. Now, some people have called for him versus Sting in this kind of pre-edited, pre-filmed. I'm like, let's not let's not make a sequel to something we don't need. You get lucky from The Godfather, The Godfather 2, but, you know, if we're going to have a hard time, we're going to be making a sequel to something that we don't need. So we're basically going to go from Miss Congeniality to Miss Congeniality 2, Red, White, and Pink, or whatever the hell it was. And we don't need that. Let's just let Sandra Bullock and Michael Caine be a great team because what's going to happen is we're going to take away the Michael Caine and we're just going to have you know Sandra Bullock trying to carry something and there won't be no AJ. Instead, it's going to be 60-something-year-old Steve Bourne playing Sting. And I don't know if I want that. Let's not do that. But Andrew, tell me. The Academy Award winning film, the greatest experience of that night, the Boneyard match, Undertaker, played by Mark Calloway versus AJ Styles, plays by Alan Neal, I think, or Alan Jones. Tell me what your feelings are on this endeavor, because this was new for you. The most I have gotten you into was like the Firefly Funhouse. So tell me. <laughs> well, I thought it was awesome. Yeah, that's. Um... Like, uh, like, if 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 the match was a person, if the match was a wrestler's catchphrase, it would be the Miz. Because hmm. it's awesome. I'm awesome. Um, like I I was not expecting that, and it turned out to be absolutely amazing. Um. You know the the supernatural taker thing was incredible. Um, him like, summoning fire and lightning is just it, it had a nice mix of biker taker and uh, you know supernatural taker, and 
you got the sense that even though he is however old he is, uh, that this this old boy has got a few few more years in him. Um, you know, I think he's only lost two matches at WrestleMania. Yep. Uh, so, you know, I'm glad that they didn't do him completely dirty because, you know, he's obviously a Hall of Famer, um, but I feel like they've kind of been, I don't know, mistreating him recently. Yeah. Putting him against Goldberg, I would agree with you on that one. But, um, yeah, Francisco, I, th- I think I might have to link you that fight because mm-hmm. it was definitely an experience. And, yeah, uh, from the way you're describing it, it sounds like it's... And then, it, it, it was special. And then I'll say this. I know you you were uh, implying earlier that my favorite match of the night was the, was the graveyard match. Uh, well, it's the best experience of the night, right? Right. But... The the match between KO and the Monday Messiah, Monday Night Messiah, yeah, that was amazing as well. Yeah, um, it... I was I was not well. That's not true. When when KO got clocked by the bell, I I ins- I don't know instinctually. I maybe I've watched enough WWE to figure this out. But I said, he's going to ask for a no-DQ match. I just know it. And sure enough, he did. Um, so, you know, props to that for establishing enough of a uh, storyline where you figured that he wasn't going to let Rollins get off that easy. And, you know, this this was... Uh, we'll get to another match in day two. But... You know, day one, uh, or for this one, you know, this definitely, I think, would have benefited from having a large crowd. Um, I think there was another match, or, you know, there was another match, which, like I said, I'll get to, uh, which actually benefited from not having a crowd. Um, But overall, I still, that was... An awesome match. Um, they they changed the the spotting or the uh, I guess in acting terms it would be blocking um, the blocking of the match to really take full advantage of the the performance center. They didn't just do kind of like a copy paste from what they were going to do at WrestleMania. You know, for instance, the that elbow drop off of the WrestleMania sign that would have been impossible to do uh, at at a normal WrestleMania because they usually hoist that thing really freaking high in the air um, and not normally accessible. Uh, but they they took full advantage of the venue. Uh, it was it was just well done. The storyline was great. Uh, you can't beat it. It was an awesome match. Cool. All right. So that's day one. Now let's talk about day two. Here comes my interviewing skills, right? 
we had another set of eight matches, I'll tell you right now, Francisco, which mm -hmm. didn't really make the cut because not because they were bad, but because they might have suffered. Alistair Black, Bobby Lashley. I love me some Alistair Black. I was a big fan of him NXT. He didn't put on a bad match. The match suffered from two things. One, no build. It was just one of those matches that were announced because both guys were kind of isolated. I know Bobby Lashley was in quarantine. And Alistair, was, he's been putting on some shows at the Performance Center for the Raw being taped but you need some intensity and the idea for black the last couple months he's looking for the next big fight and when you're not having and bobby lashley is a specimen of a man the guy looks like he's built from a comet you know best shining piece he's a strong okay. dude strong looking dude and so you could have probably done something well with it and so no build and no uh crowd doesn't help and then the other match i think that suffered a lot even though there was good foreshadowing for the future without a crowd was the SmackDown's women's Fatal 5-Way. Each woman tried. They did fine. The match wasn't bad, but it's just the crowd would have made it invested because at the end of the day, when you're doing five people be eliminated, there's no shock and awe from the crowd reaction mm -hmm. uh, of this person got eliminated. They, they needed like four finishers on Tamina to finish her off. Like the other four girls contributed to beating her. So when you have a crowd that's there, it does help out. Other than that, you know, the second night was about certain storylines Oh, and also the Raw tag team match was kind of eh, in my opinion. It was just there to introduce Bianca Belair. Good for you, Bianca. Glad that you got called up to Raw. I think you'll be doing great because your time with NXT was definitely over. Congrats to you. But there was some payoff. One of the little highlights, a little feel-good storylines that could have benefited the crowd, but it felt good because it's not fully done, is Otis versus Dolph Ziggler. It was a little romance soap opera. Wrestling is a soap opera as well, where mm -hmm. the guy finally gets the girl, but there was nefarious means. Is this the one that you were talking about when I was... Like the, 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 the one dude? The, the greatest romance love story. Oh, okay. Ever coming I'm into happy it. happy about I, that. I, yeah, so what, and it, it kind of played off perfectly. Sonya Deville had set up Otis to fail, and, you know, because Otis wanted the love of Mandy Rose. Dolph, they were supposed to have the Valentine's date. Mandy Rose and uh, Dolph Ziggler end up going out, and then the truth came out that Sonya, who was Mandy's friend, was, you know, kind of doing him dirty and just, you know, texting him and setting up the false dates and stuff like that and then so Sonya and company's Dolph the match is kind of an average match itself because you know as great Dolph can make me have a five or not I won't say five star but a four and a half star match maybe a four star match he'll sell for me that's all I'll say if I do a bad botch knee uh running knee or a drop kick he'll sell for me like I did it perfectly Otis I love me some Otis I remember from his NXT times that was the one that we were watching and we did the live stream just to put those characters in play yeah um but you know they had a match, but then Sonya interferes. Dolph hits Otis with a low blow, and there's no even stalling. Mandy just comes out, beats up Sonya, low blows Dolph, and then Otis wins with the caterpillar. Grabs his woman like the bodyguard. They get a little smooch, and then it goes off into the sunset. And it's gonna continue because then you'll have the mixed gender tag match of Heavy Machinery, Mandy Rose versus Sonya Deville, Dolph Ziggler, and then his teammate. Uh, Bobby Roode. So, you know, it's a feud continuer. You saw a lot of that in the other matches. Feuds are going to continue. Just like in the Fatal Five-Way match with ladies, Sasha Banks is going to be eyeing Bailey's side on one of their best friends. But let's talk about something that I'm going to say was the match of the night, but sometimes, well, I won't say it was match of night because there's something else, but I'm going to save that because it's it's higher up. But it was definitely one of the best matches tonight. But it's one of those things where you can smell Vince's desperation. Um, it, it's sometimes you guys ever been to an auction or you bid it on eBay or anything like that, and you know you're comfortably going to get something, 
but you're afraid of what other people are going to do. So you so overbid you higher yeah. on yourself. So that was the NXT women's match of Charlotte Flair versus Rhea Ripley. It's a match to start the night, and both women went at it like true queens and champions should. The storyline was Charlotte Flair won the Royal Rumble. She challenged the NXT title. Why? Because NXT is going against a ratings war against AEW. So Vince is going to want some prominence and some kind of importance on it. We know that NXT has been losing the ratings war on Wednesdays. Mind you, not by a lot, by like 200,000 viewers. Why? Because it's Wednesday. So I wish Vince would understand that if you put NXT on any other night, you would probably have higher numbers, but you had to do it directly against your competitor, not realizing that your competitor is going to win because the people who are watching your competitor hate you. <laughs> they hate you for things like making the Fiend lose, the Universal Championship, to Goldberg at Super Showdown, hating things like putting titles on part-timers, not writing, not knowing how to write feuds or storylines, or you stereotype the crap out of characters. You know, Hispanic, African-Americans, women, you don't evolve, Vince. You are very backwards. But damn it, sometimes you hit on things. And it it's like being in an abusive relationship. He hurts me, but he makes me feel so good sometimes, you guys. Oh, Bringing it back. So the match was just great. Both women sold it. It was very personal. They're shouting at each other. They're screaming. Rhea Ripley is dressed up like Mystique from the X-Men comics, not the movies. And Charlotte wins. And I'm just like, you know, I'm done, man. I'm like, I like Charlotte Flair as a performer. I can't get into the character because when you win everything and you're not putting over the new talent, and granted, to be very fair into her defense, you're not the one making the demands to win, I'm assuming. But now she's held record 11 titles within the span of three years. So it either you're not a legitimate champion because you've lost the title so many times. And I know Vince is probably going to have a big end game where you're going to have a female being the one with the most title records held. Contrary to father holds 16 world championships. She's probably going to have 25. Uh, but it, it just kind of lacks some teeth. And now I felt that you put Charlotte winning to put her on NXT so you can help Charlotte with the ratings war, but Charlotte, it's only going to be there for maybe a 10, 15 minute segment. And it's not going to help the remaining hour 45 that you have to compete with AEW. You have to make good storylines, continue feuds. You have to have proper payoffs. You have to have the wrestlers signed that people want to watch. And I think you have that because AEW is still in its infancy. It's winning now because people just hate you, Vince, and they want better competition. So the wrong person won. You could have had Rhea who's already been kind of established because she was the first NXT UK Women's Championship. That's an offshoot brand overseas for them. But you could have had her. You could have had an NXT representative win at WrestleMania. You made sure they swept the board at Survivor Series, but it didn't mean anything come the one match that mattered, especially since there was no takeover. And it was all for naught. And I was super frustrated because the match on a five scale was like a four or five. It was, it was one of the best technical wrestling matches that night. But the transition to another match, which suffered, I'm just going to preface it right now, yeah. which suffered going 15 minutes too long. Unlike Elder Scrolls Online, you know? Unlike Elder Scrolls Online. Which is know? just... Unlike Elder Scrolls Online, which is just hours upon hours, and it won't be like the Drew McIntyre-Brock Lesnar match, which will also be five minutes. I'm not going to talk much about that. Mm. Congratulations, Drew. I'm glad you won your championship. I feel like a rematch will be on its way because Brock thrives on crowds. Don't expect it to be over, but let's see what happens because now we have two full-time heavyweight champions. I was neither here nor there with that match because there was another match that preceded it that kind of made me go on a trip. We're going to talk about it in a second. But another match that was 15 minutes too long, it went like... 36 minutes it was deeply personal deeply 
invested, did not suffer at all throughout the crowd. It was the best storyline from Royal Rumble leading to now, and that was Edge versus Randy Orton's last man standing match, at least is my opinion. Apparently, Twitter wasn't a fan. I don't care what Twitter says because when you have guys who want to kill each other, mm. you cannot kill somebody to where they can't stand on the count of 10 by just a spear, by just an RKO. And yes, they had to work within the limitations of the performance center, so they couldn't do crazy spots. But let's be real here. Edge is just coming back from a triple vertebrae spinal fusion or Yikes. whatever the hell he had. Nine years of ring rust. He Oof. had to retire. I don't want him doing too crazy of bumps and spots, but what this was was a storyline. He came back at the Royal Rumble. Everybody went crazy. Next night, Randy's like, let's get the band back together. We were Team R Radar RKO. Let's do this. And then Randy betrayed him. And then for months, this was continuing since late January. And here we are, April 7th. I'm still talking about it. And it was just this whole concept of it went every turn of I did this because of Edge. He's telling his wife, Beth Phoenix, I did this because I want you to still have a husband. I want your girls to still have a father. He's going to get hurt. He's an addict. He's addicted to this. How dare he come back from being retired? I, I care too much about him. And then he RKO's Edge's wife. And Edge is like, man, it's pretty simple. He cuts a great impassioned promo and says he's basically saying, I'm going to murder you at WrestleMania. Last man standing match. So we get the last man standing match. The match starts off perfectly because Edge just comes in. You wish there was a crowd just for the entrance. Mm -hmm. But this is a – listen, Francisco, if I go and say you and me to the count of 10, it's you and me, man. It, it, I don't care about who's there in the audience-wise. I don't need uh, Andrew and the rest of the uh, legal clinic when we were back in the days there be like, all right, take numbers. Brian's in the corner. Just be like, all right, guys, don't tell uh, Kareem, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. It's you and me. I'm focused on you. That's how the intensity had to be. Shout outs to all our old crews back in the FIU days, right? Yeah. Um, so we're in that ring we're going. So the match starts with Randy dressed up as a cameraman coming and RKOing him out of nowhere. His finisher, the little uh, cutter that he has. And he does it a second time. And Edge, who is an actor, he's been on Vikings. He's done some other stuff. Haven, he was on the episode of The Flash, is like, Basically, like, what the hell will just hit me? Barely make it to the count of nine. If we were doing drinking games of waterfalling till, uh, you know, the referee got to the count of ten for or as long as the ref's counting, we will all have liver poisoning. And then a lot of it throughout the match was just dudes slamming their heads against each other. There was a spot in the weight room um, that was intense. He put Edge's neck and kind of tied it around the, uh, the bands. Some people thought that was offensive because Vice just did an excellent dark side of the ring with Chris Benoit. And for those who don't know, there was cable wires that were included breaking people's necks. I don't think that was the interpretation of what Vince McMahon, who, as you know, shunned the hell out of Chris Benoit, that the guy doesn't exist in his world would have intended. It was just the way the match was being built up and produced. But there was a lot of guys just slamming each other around. There was not going to be body slams. There was not going to be leg drops. There was a nice little DDT on the car roof. That was cool. But it went on a little bit long, but it dragged into certain parts, and it ended up uh, edge took a dive where he was on top of, not a ladder, but um, I want to call it barricade, but I know it's not a barricade. It was just on something, onto Randy through a table, and now they're on top of a, a little semi. He, gets, he spears Randy. Randy RKO's him. Edge is still making it. The will is there. It's there. And then beautiful poetry happened, Francisco, within uh -huh. the last four or five minutes, mm -hmm. where Edge gets Randy down. 
The ref's about to count to 10. Edge is like, don't effing count. He gets the two chairs because, you know, when he first attacked Edge, he used the double chairs. He laid Edge's head on one chair and then hit him with another one, the concerto. That was an Edge thing with Christian back in the day. Um, and then Edge has Randy's head set up because he chokes out oh, Randy. There we go. Randy goes to hit him with the chair to do the same thing to him, and he chokes him out and puts his head there like Randy's a little sleeping baby. And then Edge just goes through the acting. You're invested. This is your character. This is your prodigal son returning. Mm-hmm. Uh, or That was Drew's story. So this is your, 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 your veteran back in the business of things. This is your you know, Deckard, if you guys have seen Blade Runner, coming back into it. Um, and so he's like, you see this emotion. This is Edge's acting where he's just like, you're seeing this emotion. He doesn't want to do this, but he's going to do this. And he's like welling up and stuff like that. And then he lifts the chair and just murders Randy with one shot. And then there's the 10 count. And then Edge is putting his head to Randy and there's sweat on their body. And it was a good emotional moment with an incredible payoff. Yes, it was long. Yes, it was sluggish. I don't get people who are like, I want to see more in-ring wrestling because a body slam is not going to keep me down for a 10 count. Not even a German suplex. If you landed me on my neck, the crowd's been you know, tainted to it or desensitized to it. It's going to be personal. So slamming dudes' heads against a very small performance center side to side on the wall through frames might do that. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Andrew, I know I've taken a lot of the time about the match that you were always in conversation with me about since Edge came back. So tell me, your thoughts on the last man standing match before we go into the other weird match of the night. Well, uh, hearkening back to, I don't know, 10 minutes ago when I said there was a match that I think benefited from not having a crowd, this was that match especially at the end um, because there was that that moment where Edge uh, is standing over Orton you know he starts to cry a bit by the way Edge Adam Copeland awesome actor um, completely it, it takes a lot of skill to uh, be able to cry on command like that. Um, he's very good, very expressive. So, I like I said, I I think it benefited from not having a crowd because you got to hear a lot of that trash talk. Uh, in some ways, it actually heightened the suspense. I think. Um, I I don't know. I thought it was an amazing match. Like you said, it may have gone a bit long at time. Uh, uh, they could have maybe cut some parts to it. Um, but overall, I think it, it was probably my favorite match. Not even probably. It was my favorite match that I saw. Um. Uh, it was a good kind of redemption story for for Edge, and it was it was awesome. So let me ask you this, because one of the things in wrestling that you look for in a feud when a feud's about to end is the payoff to the story. You being back into it after hearing my craziness for a year and change, but seeing it firsthand with with at least a rivalry from what it seems to me that you have an investment on, do you feel that there was the payoff there a little bit? You know, because there's some feuds that just end and there's just no 
no payoff. Like the guy might win, but you don't feel that kind of um, that sense of relief or that that culmination, that climax. This was one of those matches I think did, contrary I to what fans feel. I, I felt it. I agree. Um, you know, you you got that sense that whatever Edge was seeking to accomplish in that match, uh, whatever feud he had, you know, whatever beef he had with Orton, um, that was taken care of and almost reconciled because. Um, at the end, before they cut away, um, well, I guess for one thing, you know, him crying before pu uh, putting the nail in the proverbial coffin, um, you could tell that he was conflicted about what he was going to do. Um, and then after, he kind of almost had a little bit of a uh, Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair moment, um, when Ric Flair retired, or sorry, when Shawn Michaels retired Ric Flair, where, you know, he got down, hugged him, uh, you know, Edge, you know, got down on his knees, put his head near Orton's, uh, sort of an embrace, so, I don't know, apparently they used to be good friends, according to of uh, the announcer, but you know, I wasn't around then so much. But you got the sense that, you know, I don't want to say that things were back to normal for them, but things were good. He he got what whatever was in their systems was out of their system. And so with that being said, you know, Francisco, we we uh, hinted at it of two matches with the finger quotes the firefly funhouse match john mm. cena versus bray wyatt was an artist film on acid detailing the careers of bray wyatt <laughs> and john cena i loved it do you think it felt like a big middle finger satire do you think um it benefited the most from the situation of not having a crowd Oh, no. I, I think people, and myself partially included, would just prefer the Fiend just murdering John Cena in mm. a ring because mm -hmm. the idea of, get, of you getting understanding of this, what a character can be when they pin a megastar and you see the one, two, three, and because the way the Fiend's been introduced is really just squash matches and dominating people. When he was introduced and in killing... Finn Balor at SummerSlam, it was like five minutes and he, he just like pinned him with the mandible claw, him killing Seth Rollins to get the Universal Championship. And I'm saying killing because it's literally, it's a horror character, you guys. So, you know, that, that's what the perception is. He's, I've seen Bray Wyatt wrestle before he was the fiend. He was not as aggressive, feral, uh, um, a, a prime prim, primordial embodiment of evil oozing in this fiend character was you know his matches with daniel bryan were real matches because it's daniel bryan you got them shine um and of course goldberg we know that debacle don't get me started uh but they went to a different route because the idea is that if cena is going to eat the pin it's going to help put bray over but what this was is just um vince just gave a blank canvas he goes to because apparently it was only three guys who craft this whole idea bray who did most of the stuff cena and then bruce pritchard and he just said, hey, 
do what you want with it. And I can understand the distaste for it, but I kind of loved it because I like some weird stuff in my wrestling. I always told you wrestling is like a three, a three headed dragon where it's fighting. That's where the actual wrestling comes in. It's the soap opera. And then it's the weird spectacle because you look at wrestling 20 years ago, you had the damn gobbledygook. You had Doink the Clown. You had these, you had the mummy. I remember on WCW, you had all these re- like character characters, not characters, a human being and personality, but just like these, these people that buy stuff at Party City, you know, Sergeant Slaughter, you know, the, the stereotypes of Piper and your, your, your typical people. So they have the fiend kind of take that, on drugs and extrapolate to it, I can get how it's not everybody's cup of tea. But what it kind of did was it just had, so just to give the the glossing of it, because I don't want to take too much time into it because it's an experience that needs to be taken on its own. It's probably on YouTube already circulating around, but it starts with Cena's in the, in the ring, looking for Bray, then they transport into the fun house and then becomes a trip down memory lane of basically Bray dissecting all of Cena's career. You didn't make it, but you had pretty muscles and then Vince gave you a second chance. And then it's a callback to like the eighties where they're like the, even the blue cage and they're, they're, they're making fun of Vince and his choices of who he wants to wrestle because if you're big and muscular, then you're good. And that's what I've always joked about because to me, I've always insulted Vince. Like if you got big sweaty muscles, and you look at it in tights, Vince is going to hire you. Um, so it, it was kind of like that tongue-in-cheek, but it's true, though. Hulk Hogan did three moves, body slam, leg drop, big boot. But he was a big, sweaty guy who has some charisma. John Cena has got some muscle. Now, mind you, Cena can wrestle. People need to chill on that stuff that he couldn't. The problem with Cena is just I don't know if he would put people over in the young days when he was younger, but that's a different story for a different day. That's going to be like my true, you know, true Hollywood wrestling stories right there. But then he goes and dissects all of Cena's career from being the prototype to being the uh, thugonomics to just being the champ and all this other stuff. And then how it brought in Bray because remember they met at WrestleMania 30. So six years ago and how Bray was basically saying, kind of breaking you know kayfabe aka wrestling character world saying you wouldn't put me over you didn't fight to put me over because you wouldn't hit me with a chair you always had to win you never took the risk because one of the things that was always against cena is that he never turned heel he started off out as, as a heel oddly enough but he never turned heel like and the thing is they went into even more character because they gave cena the same ring attire when he first debuted in this match and bray was dressed up as um I think Kurt Angle or, or in, intimidated. And then he was making fun of him because John Cena used to be engaged in Nikki Bella and she was a former wrestler. So then Bray is like taunting him by singing her theme song to him. And I love it. Ooh. And then it went very weird. Ooh. But then it went super weird because it's saying you didn't even took the risk. And then it brought in the NWO. So you have Bray Wyatt in the Wolfpack NWO shirt and then John Cena in the black and white uh, NWO shirt. And they're saying, Hey, you never had the guts to go into it. And there was an indie wrestler. And I, and I promise you, if I find his name, I have the link, I'll send it to you guys. So you can review it. But wrestler, if you're out there, forgive me for not remembering the name, but he dissected perfectly because the idea is Hulk Hogan took the risk. The guy was never a heel. He became a heel. He became a major leading faction. It's a rejuvenation of a career. Whereas John Cena has been the same guy with a hat and then jorts and then kicks. And <laughs> yeah. that's it. Um, He's the only guy that I so know that still wears jorts, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. But damn it, he pulls it off better than I could. Um, <laughs> and so you have Bray who came in with the Wyatt family and it was too late. And his whole thing was, John, 
you know, you destroyed me that day when I lost to you at WrestleMania, but the Fiend put me back together. And then, you know, you're talking about Bray's career. And then at the very end where John's realizing he should have taken those chances and hit Bray with a chair because there's the scene in WrestleMania 30. I think that was at the SmackDown that you were live streaming where he had the chair and Bray's telling him to hit him with it and he won't mm -hmm, do it. Mm -hmm. They're reenacting that. And then he goes to hit him with the chair, but there's no Bray. And after that comes the Fiend and he just... I guess kills John Cena and that's it. And I loved it. I know one of my friends didn't like it. My other friend liked it, but I understood how people can hate it. But for me, it's like such a middle finger to Vince McMahon because there's even the Vince McMahon puppet doll that he uses that has the horns with the eighties <laughs> when Cena's just like doing the, um, doing the curls. And he's going to say, that's good shit because that's what Vince apparently says when there's a good character play that he likes it, it to me it's just like saying you have carte blanche to give a middle finger to your boss wow. because <laughs> you are the best seller because you bring in the most merchandise because you're the most entertaining thing you know imagine it's like you can tell your boss hey I'll, I'll do what i want or i'll go have that second margarita at chili's during happy hour because i'm going to close this deal today anyway and you're going to make it kind of like of money. Uh, le That's le what lebron like. one with uh with the cleveland cavaliers and dan gilbert you know he could just do whatever the heck yeah. he wanted and that's that's your that's your connection to it because you had Cena who used to be your major money guy. You have Bray who's kind of your major money guy now, and that was just weird. It wasn't better than the Boneyard match. Night one was like superb to night two, but congealing both of them together and making one big WrestleMania, I you know seven and a half B minus whatever that equation equals out to. But I was thoroughly entertained. I wasn't bored. I think the scores would have changed if it was one long shot because night one was about three hours. Night two was about three and a half hours so six and a half hours of wrestling is a lot i don't like a lot of anything these days and in excess of things but for what it's worth they made it work they take the for me maybe for andrew and i know for other people they took me out of the the world i was in that i'm living in now and allowed me to mm -hmm. have payoffs mm -hmm. to certain things that were happening pre-cv current cv maybe it'll be during cv it continue things for me to watch during cv granted these tapings are going to kill me because you're going to have dudes who are quarantined so how are you going to push um feuds of people who are not there but it's okay because i don't need to watch every raw i don't need to watch every smackdown i could actually watch smackdown now you guys because you knew my status was if goldberg was a universal champion i'm not watching smackdown hallelujah <laughs> it's a new day and i'm always gonna watch okay. nxt and then when the time comes, here's the interesting part, though. So let's 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 wrap it into a cage segment before I get Andrew's opinion on the Firefly Funhouse because I really want to hear his for him be like, what the hell is this? Uh, but I'll leave it on this cage segment for myself, and then we'll go to him. AEW has their Double or Nothing pay per view in May. Is Vince gonna kind of like you know? be kid Icarus and go too close to Sun, like kind of like how he panicked with Charlotte? Is he gonna try to push wrestlers, presumably in NXT because they're the ones that are based out? in orlando um or just any of the shows is he going to try to instead of postponing money in the bank or other pay-per-views is he going to try to expedite stuff and piss off his wrestlers even more because here's the thing uh aew has taped everything so let's see on that andrew mm. your experience in the art indie film on acid slash ecstasy slash molly known as the firefly funhouse tell me yes I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> not, not even a hint. Not even not even a, 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 a little scintilla of it, of me, like, injecting my love of Bray Wyatt since he came back as Mr. Rogers turned psycho killer, the fiend. Nope. 
<laughs> so straight into the point. It, it 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 was strange, man. It it was it was strange. It was good for me because I knew what was going on. But there, sometimes in WrestleMania, you want wrestling, but they call it WWE, so it's enter, entertainment's in that E, mm. right? I was entertained. I know some of the old wrestlers liked it too, including um, DDP was on there saying that he liked it. Uh, I, I know Rick Rick Flair. I think it's just paid to say that the WWE does everything great. So uh, Rick, Rick, I love you. Nate, you're the best. But I can't necessarily say uh, that you're right or wrong on a segment. I think you're too biased considering the fact that your daughter just won the NXT title. Mm. Again, um, I sent you guys the link, so let me get the guy. Jay Walker, indie wrestler Jay Walker, you're correct on your assumptions of how this, this Firefly Funhouse, a.k.a. Acid Trip, went down. Um, I liked it, man. I liked it. I had reservations. And here's the thing is... It went well enough that I'm afraid I'm going to give too much leeway to Vince McMahon to F it up again. Because it was like last year where they gave me Kofi Mania and all this stuff was great. And then all of a sudden we had the wild card rule and then wrestling got really bad really quick when we had it so good. So Vince, if you can hear me now, if you're listening to this little podcast uh, coming from Martin County, Florida and two other guys down in Miami, uh, good job. Don't F it up because I'll just watch AEW and you'll panic. We know that's a lie, but maybe that's true. I don't know, but don't hurt me, Vince. Don't hurt me. That's what I got for you in WrestleMania. Oh, boy. Oh. Um, Andrew, do you have anything else to add or want to, uh, something to comment on? Not really. Um, I think we pretty much covered everything that I need to cover. Okay. Well, let me ask you this, Andrew. Now that you've gotten a taste of it, are you willing to watch other pay-per-views? Do you feel that you have been consumed by Vince McMahon and enthralled and seduced by him. Was this Vore? <laughs> um, I wouldn't say seduced by him because he's not exactly the greatest looking person on earth. Um, but I think... I think I'm sufficiently a fan now that I would be willing to watch another pay-per-view. You're welcome, Vince. Give me money. Give me my royalties. All right. But that's good, though. Well, that's me, good, though, because... Let me just... mm-hmm. Well, let me, let me clarify, though. Only because you've given me access. Hey, the access is there. You know you're welcomed. I, I would not be paying, what is it, $10 a month? Yes. I, I would not pay $10 a month to watch pay-per-views. But um, it's available for me, and I'm going to take advantage. Okay. And you know what? That's a good point because that's my problem sometimes is there's the rumors that Vince is going to sell the big rights of the core four pay-per-views. He's trying to, for ESPN, to use them as a platform. Mm. They've expanded, like, Fight TV and a, co- a couple other ones. So if you got people who aren't willing just to sign up for $9.99 a month, getting a free trial as first-time users, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, how are you going to convince people just to order on pay-per-view? Because I saw what DirecTV was charging for night one or what was being charged for. For night one, it was like 40 bucks. For night two, it was like 60 And you're not going to make the product something that people want and they will come. It's like Field of Dreams. You're not going to have the competition the way it was in the Monday Night Wars where you're going to be averaging out $5 million a night. It's just, it's time's gone. Baseball used to be a, the most popular. 
popular sport and now it's i would say third yeah in the in the big scheme of things as a team sports and that's that's real let's be honest here not everybody's watching a full season i can watch a majority of a full season of football and basketball i can watch a good back end of it the halfway season for baseball maybe it's the third i'm part of a big fan base um at least what they say fan base quotation marks in the air uh, coming into it it's just about my availability so what makes you think i'm gonna pay money that's also one of the reasons why i i want to love AEW for being different even though they're not exactly breaking the wheel and i don't think they're meant to i think they're just supposed to be a little bit more for the performers to perform but at 50 bucks a pay-per-view i'm not gonna watch double or nothing too i'm not gonna watch full gear i'm just gonna wait till it's on youtube hmm. same thing with new japan and so you know that's what vince and all those other guys have to fit out because you can give this excellent thing that andrew wants that he enjoys coming into it casually i'm not saying it's a bad thing but you know the prototype is how do you convince people to do 10. you got my myself who's just like yeah i'll do 10 because i want to miss out i want to watch all the stuff that i missed out on the years on mm -hmm. i was when i was you know i'm working out at home i was watching kurt angle versus Shawn michaels wrestlemania 21. holy crap you guys fantastic match please watch that andrew just so you know what greatness looks like, but I would have paid 50 bucks for it. And I'm an adult with a real job. Not that every job's not a real job, but I'm at a job where I can afford the 50 bucks, but I'd rather just save it and save it for a rainy day. But that's my thoughts on it. Andrew, feel free to use it. You know you're allowed to. Yeah. You're good. And not every, not everything can be free like EVE Online, which is a uh, record-breaking single server space MMO. You can play that now for free if you want to guaranteed uh, that you'll never want to walk away from it because it is your kind of mmo ladies and gentlemen all right so uh, away from our actual sponsor and let's go on over to our non-sponsors as we are uh we're at the hour nine minute mark so people places things concepts what have you guys um so uh, i've uh let's see i'm gonna have to give this one to uh, I'm going to start it out, all right? So I'll start it out. Uh, my non-sponsor for this week is the Soda Stream. Hmm. So, so the Soda Stream is a sparkling water maker. It is a personal in-home sparkling water maker. As you guys know, I'm a aficionado of the sparkly water. And I've tried many, many different sparkling waters under the sun from all types of places, from France to Mexico. And you know what? Uh, I, I went over to West Palm Beach uh, this past weekend to see my, my folks. And my mom was like, we've got this thing. We're not really using it. You can have it. I'm like, oh, sparkling water at home. Just the press of a button. And I can have, I can turn my regular old boring non-sparkly water into fantastic sparkly shiny water. And then I can put all kinds of flavors inside and basically make my own my own orange soda which i'm sure kel from kenan and kel would have really really loved to have <laughs> um so yeah it's the soda stream you can uh and there, there it is on the screen there it's they've got it comes in different colors it's just like they have three buttons on the on the top of it if you want not as many bubbles if you want more bubbles or if you want a ton of bubbles and of course guys i put the ton of bubbles because go big or go home uh, and it comes with these carbon dioxide cylinders that you have to stick in it and refill and all that stuff. And that's where they get you. That's where they get you with regards to like the money and stuff. But uh, it comes with these nice little neat bottles that you can see on the screen there. You can use your own bottles if you want to. But 
it's a, it's a really simple process. You just kind of put a bunch of regular water up to the line that it says on the bottle. And then you stick it onto the machine there where you can see it in the middle. And then press the button for how many bubbles you want. And then boom, it goes. It goes. It probably takes about, I don't know, like 10, 15 seconds. And suddenly, boom, you've got your own sparkling water at home. Didn't take long. Nothing, nothing technical uh, that you have to learn. Just stick it in and push the buttons, which uh, is not a euphemism for anything. But uh, yeah, uh, so uh, promo code um, hmm, um, the dirty bubble, which is a which is a uh, uh, an enemy of Mermaid Ann and Barnacle Boy from SpongeBob. Not a euphemism for anything else, there, bud. <laughs> yeah, so that's mine. Alrighty, who's up? Charles. Okay, I'll take a peek at it. So it's kind of hard. I, I feel for you guys, it's kind of hard to pick a non-sponsor when you're not really going out, right? Hmm. So you think about the things that you miss, the cons of it. Yeah, I'm getting fresh air. Uh, I'm jogging a little bit. You know, I'm sweating. I'm dying. But I have a bad way of keeping track of what I'm running. So the last week and a half or two weeks because part of my exercise is just getting some cardio in and I'm not going back to days where I was doing insanity with my sister nine years ago when we were just running around with the guy who looks like Billy Blanks's uh, jacked up cousin and throwing up my room so I was like all right let me let me get a little bit of fresh air coming into it, it allows me to kind of reconnect with nature I put on my SPF so I don't get burned and looking like a Patrick Starr since we're gonna be talking about Spongebob <laughs> characters or Larry the Lobster we we aspire to be Larry we look like Patrick but um so I've been running I've been listening to my audiobooks you know the Dresden Files that's my pseudo silent non-sponsor but I'm on Nike Run Club it's an app that I have it's probably the most basic guy girl thing ever to have running but it's my way to actually seeing what my runs are. So hmm. Nike Run Club, you're kind of my non-sponsor. I just put, I just you know turn it on when I'm starting my run from the minute I get out to the door to my final destination, and then I get back and you know I I run out of my neighborhood. The other day it was raining, so I go from there. But it allows me to keep that mileage, see that pace. It's like basically every other app. I'm not trying to say because I love Nike, I don't really care. Their shoes are fine, but they don't make anything wide with, so they lose points in that. But it's a little bit of that that accountability. It'll tell you what your achievements are. It's geared for the people who like the 5K. I'm just a guy trying to stave off from all the sugary sweets I eat because you guys know what I have stocked up. I got the double stuff Oreo cookies. I even have fudge <laughs> Oreo cookies. I'm actually doing you, good. I'm you, not making you myself know, a little bit the, bubbly. The, every time I've gone to Publix uh, in my spacesuit, uh, trying to avoid uh, germs and all that stuff, the Oreo aisle is completely emptied out. Every time I go. Because people have good taste. People have good taste in the apocalypse, bud. And they know what they need to eat. Now, mind you, I'm sure Nike Run Club has a lot more expanded uses and benefits. I go for me. I just want to see what my actual mileage running is. And I want to see just the time. And guys, I, I ran for a long time. I, I did uh, Saturday. I ran for 6.56 miles. You know, I was out there for an hour and 10 because I, I can't even in a quarantine. I can't switch the button off. It's a, it, I don't know if it's OCD. I'm one of the most laziest OCD people you're ever going to meet. <laughs> and it, it's just one of those things I know if there's a compromise in a routine, I can't break it. 
And because how I used to work out is I would lift weights an hour for a gym. I just do my cardio, whether it be the bike, boxing, or running on the treadmill. So this has allowed me, and I gotta say this, this is weird because maybe it's that years in law law school kind of like broke my spirit. But even at the end of the run, you get that pre-automated, like good job run kind of thing. And I kind of, after the third time or fourth time doing it, I kind of like that positive reinforcement. But here's what I'm really bringing back to you guys is that you have means of technology to get you outside the house. It's tough in Miami. I live there. I know you don't want to run around the block late at night in Sweetwater. I understand that. But for everybody out there in the world, if you're looking for any kind of inclusiveness in this technological age when we have to stay inside and we don't want to stay inside, counterproductive, right, or oxymoronic, do something like this. You know, if you want, if you don't know, I was the guy who says, well, I think it's like a mile, but I can't tell a mile. I also can't tell the difference between my left foot and my right foot. This is something that help you out. Not everybody likes running. I get it, but mm. don't even just do it for the jog. Do it right. Just walk around the house. Drive to, in Florida, the parks aren't closed, or at least where my counties are. I don't know about you guys, mm. but leave your car at the park and walk a mile and come back, get some fresh air. I saw like, apparently because i guess i'm in the sticks and i didn't know it when i was running but there's a place that had some cows so i saw some cows on running <laughs> and then i got to see from my sightseeing what i was able to do achievement wise and will i delete it the moment i'm done and i'm able to come back to the gym yeah because i typically go to the gym late so i can't do that but during the weekends allows me to go from there but it's been a very nice thing i didn't know what to kind of put or what I have to keep me occupied in the house. So I said, let me choose the non-sponsor for, um, you know, when I go outside the house, because the only reason why I'm going outside the house now is just for emergency purposes or for my little fresher breath there and running. And then, um, you know, so Nike Run Club app, get it going, uh, promo code, just do it. Am I allowed to? Are we going to copyright on that? Yeah, nah, Stricken. I don't think so. <laughs> All right. Okay. Just like Eve Online, just do it. Yeah, just do it, exactly. <laughs> Just do it. Okay. So uh, let's see. Um, Andrew, what yeah. you got? Uh, my non-sponsor of the week is Rocket League. Ooh. Yeah. I think this is their second time because I think I've used them before too. But yeah. Okay. Here we uh, go. Rocket League went on sale this month uh, a couple of days ago. And I'd been, I had been wanting to get it because I've played a couple of times with Francisco and I thought it was fun. And um, it was fun. And then more importantly, if I got online access, I'd be able to play with Francisco, uh, a couple of my, a uh, couple other friends. Uh, Indeed. And one way to kind of, What's that? Indeed. And one way to sort of uh, stave off boredom and loneliness. So they it was a 50% off. It went from $20 to $10. That's exactly and the said, sale that I did when I got mine. <laughs> hey, it's Freddy. Yeah, Freddy's been here, dude. He's been here. And he's got he non-sponsors too. My non-sponsors are the Archers, the Bobcats, the Comets, the Destroyers, the Mustangs, the Paladins, the Stingers, and the Voyagers. Who are those? Are those XFL teams? No. <laughs> no, sounds, um, sounds a little D&D right there. <laughs> um, so I bought it, and 
I've earned quite a few trophy uh, trophies already. That's the PlayStation equivalent of achievements. Right. Um, I played through all the tutorials. I've done one full season. I've been totally local so far. Mm-hmm. Um, keep going with Rocket League. Um, sorry. <laughs> so um, it's been a lot of fun. I'm no, I'm not by any means good right now compared to some of the people that are playing online. Oh, dear Lord. Um, I still can't say, I still can't play goalie to save my life <laughs> um, as much as I try because I keep, uh, I keep driving past the ball. Um, I have no sense of accuracy. Are you playing, which modes are you playing? Uh, right now I'm playing the, the, the season mode. The regular soccer? Like soccer? Yeah, like soccer with like the car. Oh yeah. no, you're, you're uh, oh you're play, but you're playing against the computers, right? Right. Okay. Um. Right. So I mean, I'm getting better. Uh, I'm trying to play a little bit every day so I can get better. And then, as I was telling Charles, uh, you know, once I get, once I'm playing offline so I can get good. Um, and once I get good enough, I'm going to, uh, start with the 14 day free PlayStation plus trial, which is the online service for PlayStation. Um, and if I am having good enough time, uh, with it, then I'll go ahead and take advantage of the deal, uh, that Charles found and keep going with it. So, but yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun so far. It's, uh, it's a great way to kind of lose some time. Oh, you lose a lot of of time. Believe me. (laughs) I've played Uh, like 1200 games. You have like two. Yeah. I've I've checked on your switch Francisco and you have, (laughs) you know, cause you can always see what your buddies are playing. You have like 200 hours. (laughs) Yeah. I've got, I've got a little nuts with the game, but yeah. Well, the good thing is it's cross-play, right? Yeah. So, because I've always, I got my nephew it for Christmas a couple years back, and I played a few, but I never wanted it on my PlayStation because I always felt it was, like, appropriate for a Switch game mm. for me because uh, I, I like the idea of taking it on the go. Oh, yeah. But 10 bucks is a good deal, though. Oh, it's a fantastic deal. And, I mean, and just it, think bang for your buck, right? Yeah, and... You know, that's the only reason I was really thinking of getting it is because I I can play it with my friends on other platforms. Um, you know, a lot of my friends have Switch. Um, not so many. A couple of my friends have PlayStation, and I'm sure a couple have... Um, Xbox. Have Xbox. Or PC. So I'm able to play with all of them, which is very rare. Um, so that was a big reason why I wanted to get it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and as BU was saying, like, I, well, Andrew knows, I strictly just play hockey. Like, Snow Day, that's what it's called on, on Rocket League. I just strictly play that, and I've gotten, I've, I've gotten to one save per game now. So I've, I've averaged out to one save per game, which took me a long time to get to. 
And, uh, yeah. Let's see. Uh, BU's, my non-sponsor, would have to be the greatest racing game ever created, GTA Online. Look at that. Mm. There's there's cars and bikes, you know. My, you know what my problem with that one is? Uh, I played 5 when it came out on the PS3, and then when they came into the current generation, it had just missed its time for me. But I always kind of want to revisit it. But, Andrew, one thing I will tell you is you learn how to play a lot better when you're playing against other people. And I can attest to this because I remember when I first started out Splatoon back in the old days when Francisco and I were just little youngins in the uh, the family clinic, as I'll call it now, and we're playing against people online over in like Japan and they're just handing us our asses. Um, so you always find like weird little knickknacks and tricks and things like that. So if you ever do continue on with the 14 day trial and pass that, You'll be surprised what you learn by getting the whooping that comes in, or just on instinct, too. Hmm. Hello? Yes, I'm here. Sorry. Hello? Okay, sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, could you repeat the question? Oh, it wasn't a question. It was more or less you'll find out new tricks of how to play when you play people online. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, it's that's the same for any game, right? Yeah. Uh, that being said, though, promo code? Promo code... Um, bad goalie. Okay. <laughs> You'll get better, don't worry. You'll get a lot... I mean, it takes a long time to get good at goalie in Snow Day. Like, I, I finally... I've, I've, uh, I've settled down. And, uh, yeah, like BU basketball... Yeah, I can't even play basketball BU. I, 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 I hate the way the ball moves. Yeah, to be airborne where I want. Exactly. It's hard to control where the ball is moving. Uh, and yeah, I do like the, the predictability of the, of the puck, even though sometimes it kind of... The physics in Rocket League are kind of weird sometimes. Sometimes weird stuff happens, and like suddenly the ball will just... Or the puck will just zoom at 100 miles per hour the other way, even though you're not hitting it in that direction. Yeah, there's all kinds of things with that game, but Andrew, uh, we'll have to we'll have to trade Rocket IDs because I think that's the way for us to to get uh, crossplay. And, and you too, BU, if you want to throw down your Rocket ID as well, and we can kind of get yeah. a, a squad going. Okay, so that's our non-sponsors. So we're moving on to well, we're well into the second half of the show. We're almost like a we're at one hour twenty six minutes so far thus far. So let's um, want to get this out of the way. Uh, some some recent news coming uh, that just came this past weekend is the uh, Basketball Hall of Fame class of 2020. And uh, I'll just read off the list here. It's headlined by the uh, late Kobe Bryant, as well as Kevin Garnett, Tim Duncan, Eddie Sutton, Rudy Tomjanovich, Tamika Catchings, Kim Mulkey, Barbara Stevens, and Patrick Bauman. So there you go. And um, I just wanted to do a special Let's Haul, y'all. Highlighting one of these guys. I'm not going to highlight Kobe Bryant because we'll save that for when the actual induction happens. But I'm going to do it for another uh, one of these recent Hall of Famers, Kevin Garnett. Ooh. So, yeah. KG. Big ticket. So let, let's, let's, let's delve into our memories of Kevin Garnett. All right, Basketball Hall of Fame class of 2020 played for the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Boston Celtics, the Brooklyn Nets, and 
ended his career with the Minnesota Timberwolves, drafted out of high school in 1995. I think he was the first guy to ever be drafted out of high school. Uh, first round, fifth overall. His number five jersey will be retired by the Boston Celtics as he won the 2008 NBA championship with them. His number 21 may not be getting retired by the Timberwolves anytime soon because he's got beef with the owner of the Timberwolves right now. Uh, there was some uh, some finger pointing and uh, Kevin Garnett said there were some promises that weren't kept. He was supposed to be more involved with the Wolves organization in the front office and even an ownership stake and apparently that was off the table. The moment that Flip Saunders uh, unfortunately passed away uh, a few years ago now so um so that's not it's gonna get a little weird in minnesota so we'll see what's what goes on there whoa bless you thank you all righty um okay so 15 time all-star nine time all defensive first team defensive player of the year in 2008 as well 2004 nba mvp and he won the gold medal in 2000 um, unlike the Elder Scrolls Online, uh, you, uh, he, Kevin Garnett got paid a lot of money from that 2004 All-Star and an MVP performance. Uh, you don't have to pay anything for Elder Scrolls right now. It's free. It's free. Don't worry. They've got a, a nice event coming up, free to play, one April 1st through 14th. So if, if you're stuck indoors, why not play some Elder Scrolls Online? And he is probably one of the all-time trash talkers in NBA history. Would you agree, Charles? Um, so if you ask me what I remember the most about Kevin Garnett's career, it isn't the fact that he took the Timberwolves to the Western Conference basically on his back. Mm. It isn't the fact that he was a 15-time All-Star. It isn't the fact that he won a championship with the Celtics or made the Celtics relevant because Paul Pierce, who crapped himself, yes, mind you, he did remember that speech. <laughs> he couldn't. He could have. He could have moved the needle just being that solo guy on the team. I remember Paul Pierce basically getting Carmelo Anthony about to. Oh, Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett. Yeah, yeah, Kevin Garnett. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Well, I'm sure Paul Pierce probably got Carmelo too. But Kevin Garnett getting <laughs> Carmelo Anthony livid to commit murder because they were jawjacking. And it has never been confirmed. It has never been talked about. But essentially, there's a certain phrase that was used about Carmelo Anthony's wife, mm -hmm. Lala Anthony, who, who's a beautiful woman. We'll say that, sure. Um, I remember her on TRL, or not TRL, but one of the things on MTV. And then the phrase honey nut Cheerios. <laughs> so I'm not going to say it, but I think if we know how to, and for me, who loves running hit, who basically as a wrestling fanatic loves anything about trash talking itself will love any kind of person with the gusto to say that in the middle of a, and here's the thing too. I don't even blame Carmelo. Someone said that about my lady. I'd be like, all right, Garnett, because they had the video where he's kind of like, Garnett. And all he did on the post video was like, there's some things you don't say to another man, man. You know what I mean? Like, you want to watch something great? Get Carmelo's Anthony's reaction to Kevin Garnett basically saying that somebody may have a similar taste or flavoring of Honey Nut Cheerios, someone close to him, because you know it's not a lie, because there's certain things where you know it's just full of crap. Mm. But I'm like, what, what, what would propel a man? to kill somebody and I'm like it's that so that will always until the end of the day and it, it's that it's it's that arrogance but it's not 
arrogance, but it's just kind of like basketball psychology, all sports are psychology, right? But you don't have a lot of sports where you're so closely followed by somebody all the time. I don't even care when you say it's football, because here's the thing, you're always shadowing different defenders. In basketball, if you're covering that dude, you're covering that dude. Yeah. And there's no way to break a guy's psych because Garnett is a center slash power forward, or was, and you know when you're playing that iso ball or try and drive into lane and you're getting swatted you're getting blocked out and you just keep jabber john but to get a man to physically attack you that isn't a gilbert arenas level where he just didn't want to pay the money just brought out some guns or malice at the palace that was just crazy for all the other reasons i'm trying to think of what was the last great fight in basketball i know we had that recently but my brain because you know sports is taken out i mean i mean nba hasn't really i mean ever since the malice of the palace there hasn't really been an uh, I guess a very significant NBA brawl, you would say. Yeah, there was like something, and I just can't. I mean, there's been guys that have been pushing and shoving, some some punches thrown, but nothing like, nothing like. Uh, I mean, you can't even say like '90s Miami Heat versus New York Knicks, you know, or or for Chicago Bulls, uh, Indiana Pacers, that type of that era, you know. And I'll just say it to this. I felt like he made Carmelo was going to get a tire iron and beat up Kevin Garnett and then also beat up Paul Pierce, too, because we go from there. But also to bring into Garnett, he was the payoff mm. because it was the first mega trade. You know, you talk about the, the getting the band together when LeBron came to South Beach, but the Celtics had done it a couple years prior. And when Ray Allen was traded from Washington and then Kevin Garnett came along to, or not Washington, I'm sorry, was it Seattle or did he sign as a free agent? I don't remember. He signed as a free agent and then Garnett convinced him to, to be traded, the ownership of trade him from Minnesota to Boston. And they did it in year one. There was no stalling. The Heat lost the Dallas Mavericks on some questionable calls also because, you know, Spolster was just trying to figure it out, hmm. um, you know, to that Rick Carlisle team. But they as the Boston Celtics in the first year, and they also did it against the Lakers. And me and my buddy were talking about this, so I'm going to expand on the Let's Hall, y'all, to the other two men who are being inducted in the Hall of Fame as players, Kobe and Tim Duncan. Mm. It did not dawn on me how connected their three... Because it's one thing to say, like, people were connected because they go against each other, but they were always in each other's grill when it came to postseason success. Yeah. Because each one of them had to kind of go against each other for the Western Conference Finals. Tim Duncan and... Kobe Bryant both had equivalent five NBA titles. Right. Kevin Garnett won against the Celtics twice. I won against the Lakers twice as the Celtics, beating the Kobe team once and then losing in a game seven. It was BS. Yeah. Because Nate Robinson can't shoot for nothing. Just saying it. I still remember like the back of my hand. <laughs> and it, it's amazing how they're all weaved in. And you know what's crazy? We bring up Garnett because he was there was concern that he was gonna be that great player who never got the big one. Um, and he had a kind of, and mind you, basketball has always I mean, kind of been the mega power. That 2004 Minnesota team probably should have made it to the NBA Finals. That, yeah. that they they were that team, uh, that team should have made it there. Uh, I know they lost to the. But who did they go against? Of course, the Lakers. That was the yeah. that was the the Lakers in their New York Yankees signing all these free agents, especially like guys who were just going to the Lakers to try and win a championship era. Gary Payton, Carl Malone, and uh, of course the 2004 Pistons had something to say about that. Uh, anyways, yeah, thankfully, and, and, and thankfully, right? And, yeah, thankfully, of course. Uh, but of course, yeah, because that led to Shaq coming to Miami and the Heat winning their first championship. So that was good for us down here. And um, but I mean, Kevin Garnett sacrificed a lot to be in Minnesota. 
he sacrificed a lot to be to stick around in Minnesota. He could have been traded a lot earlier than that. And and then he waited all the way up to 2008 when it was like, I mean, let's see, he was drafted in 95. So 95, 95, 96 season. By that point, he, I mean, he'd been 13 seasons in the NBA. Minutes. Exactly, exactly. Heavy minutes. In the NBA. And so, like, he, it was, you had these serious questions, like you said, of is he going to be the next guy, next NBA player, next big-time player that doesn't win one? And So let's talk about that, too. He set the precedent for LeBron being like, loyalty don't mean nothing. I gave Cleveland what at that time lebron had been on the team for like six years for cleveland right and then he just bails out because he realized they weren't going to do anything to build an infrastructure yeah because part of it was money but because you know owners don't want to spend money but you're already spending a lot of money anyway but then it's like your gms are capable i think about that uh that cleveland cavaliers team that lost to the san antonio spurs uh, in LeBron's first appearance, and I just remember what Mo Williams and uh, Luke Gibson, and then uh, uh, Big Z, and that was yeah. uh, Anderson Bergeau, maybe. Yeah. You know, but that, that those are people that incite fear to you. It's the same way with the 76ers when it was just Allen Iverson, and, you know, the rest of the training wheels on the bike, and that's yeah. it. Allen Iverson was a grown man who could only afford the Toys R Us bike, and he had to just deal with it, and he could never beat the other kid. I the mean, race. he single-handedly beat that, that Lakers one. One game, I mean, that Lakers team probably should have swept that 76ers team, but then, you know, he had that uh, that fantastic shot over Tyron Lue. So, um, anyways. But yeah. On that, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, KG, I mean, um, probably, I, I, I still, I mean, even though he went up against the Miami Heat and stuff like that, um, in that with that Celtics team and even that Brooklyn Nets team, but it's still one of my more favorite players of the last era oh of God. NBA basketball. Um, his uh, his speech when they won their yeah. title, what was it? 07? Anything oh, is wait. possible. Yeah. 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 He, he's crying, screaming yeah. for his buddy Peanut because yeah. everybody's got a friend named Peanut except for me. So I'm sad <laughs> I have a friend named Almond. Um, bad joke, Charles. Bad, bad mm. joke. No mm. one laughs. I'm yeah. firing my rider. But he, it was he was because i think sometimes with people who aren't fans of that particular sport they don't see what the big deal is when winning or losing they just always kind of have that that negative stick or a stigma is negative charles but a stigma of they're just athletes taking the money i remember that was the reputation about albert pujols to one of my co-workers back in the day when i was working at vitamin shop getting that 10 year 300 million dollars who cares he's just getting paid and that's all he cares about but then i think about kevin garnett you're, you're trained for this. You're bred to this at like eight, nine, 10 years old to do this. And you have this winning mentality that's instilled to you. You might not be a winner, you may be a winner, but there might be caveats towards it. But then you start defining your careers. Cause here's the thing about any kind of sport for a lot of people, at least for the stars and the superstars, and then there's the mega stars. Um, they, it is their past, present and future. Yeah. You know, they end up becoming coaches on that team, managers for baseball uh you know just uh offensive coordinators or you know you're just pulling out like batting coaches like a mark mcguire so they're looking at consistency so they're never going to be higher for their in their life than their playing career because not all of them get the opportunity to be on the big bench you want a case an example look at another nba hall of famer patrick ewing how many times did patrick ewing want to be the coach of the knicks nobody wants that job at all and he every year and he was on some great teams as an assistant coach stan van gundy 
had a spouse for the man so hard over in Orlando and the guy could he just gets the like your legacy kind of interview but Dolan would just kind of poop on him. then he had to go take Georgetown and do nothing really anyway um whereas Jawan Howard's just killing over there mm. uh is, is it Jawan or Jawan Howard the one in uh the one who, head coach of Michigan now yeah yeah it is Jawan yeah. Howard of Michigan all right yeah. because so many guys are now gone over to college because they realize that um, NBA is kind of rigged with their hirings, and there's a lot of guys who get third and fourth chances that shouldn't uh, and get I it. I think, uh, yeah, and, and I mean, well, now there's more opportunities with the G League and stuff, and I think, uh, especially now, because uh, you, you'd have to think that, um, look at the Brad Stevens route, the Brad Stevens route, okay? Do really good in college, uh, do really well with some young talent um, around you and then you can kind of transition to the end but of course it depends on the organization he wants you know you go from butler which is he, he created a nice uh, pr- program there and he goes to the boston celtics one of the historical juggernauts of the nba and it's a lot harder when you have to go to, to the new york knicks or the brooklyn nets or the uh or the the sacramento kings you know so you look at Garnett, and I'll finish up as this. He was emotional. He was crying, and you felt it. You felt his catharsis, but you felt the connection. That sometimes sports was bigger than just a kid coming into it, getting a lot of money at a young age. Because very similar to Kobe Bryant, who you know came into it at a high school. Very similar to Tim Duncan, because I think Tim only did two years, man. Yeah, Wake Forest into the pros. Yeah, Wake Forest doing it, and he was from the island, so it was a different mindset. He wasn't even like, in, you know, hit with the intensity the way it is in the state side. Um, so it was a different kind of mindset, but you felt it, and that's for me as a, I was a, a lot younger then. So basketball, I always kind of liked it, but I didn't have like a dedication. And basketball now as an adult at 30 is more about like, I like the players and I like the team, and you know, I like Miami and stuff like that. But it's a sport that's easy to like other people on team because I have a good character. So you mentioned Kevin Garnett, you know, he's with the rival. Oh, but there was something appealing about him right and he was a trash soccer as a player he always showed up and there was something nice about his career even though he played for like two minutes a game in minnesota in that final year yeah the idea that he he got traded he didn't want to finish his year just for that season he wanted one more full season to do it right right being with flip and then going from there and then you know ownership sucks there of course it sucks it's it's the timberwolves they're they're so inconsistent you right know, you don't S, you know, crap don't change, buddy. You know, yeah. and the Timberwolves are just mismanaging potential. Look what they're doing now. They're playing for next year and they're playing for now. Right. But um, what a, what a, a favorite dude to watch, man. Like, yeah. I can't wait to hear his speech because Tim Duncan's going to be a little bit more reserved. Right. I expect because Kobe's not going to be there, obviously. So, and, and Vanessa, I think, is just going to kind of, if she is going to be speaking on his behalf, is going to articulate a different kind of somber feeling. Garnett's going to bring in the love of talking on the game, about right. the game on the court and about the players yeah okay so that's yeah that's that's kg it's uh one of our favorite players of the last generation so um let me let me get some of these smaller segments out of the way because i actually prepared for this uh it's not like our rabbit hole episode last time so let's uh let's go on and uh let's see just get some of the stuff out of the way uh better know minor league team because we are uh, talking about uh, uh, Minnesota, I, I decided to 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 cover a Minnesota team. So we are going to do the uh, Iowa Wild or the Iowa the Iowa Wolves, not the Wild. 
So that's the Iowa Wolves. Let's see if I can write it out here. The Iowa Wolves, NBA G League affiliate of the Minnesota Timberwolves. They were past affiliates of the Chicago Bulls, Denver Nuggets, Memphis Grizzlies, Miami Heat, New Orleans Pelicans or Hornets. I, I can't, I'm confused of which one is which. Uh, the Phoenix Suns and the Washington Wizards. They were founded in 2007. Uh, and they were the Iowa Energy originally from 07 to 2017. And then they were bought up by the Minnesota Timberwolves and changed their names to the Iowa Wolves. They won the G League Championship, or back then the D League Championship, in 2011. They play out in Des Moines, Iowa. They play at the Wells Fargo Arena, which opened in 2005, which holds about 16,000 for basketball. They share their arena with the Minnesota Wild. That's how I got that confused. Uh, NHL team's uh, affiliate, the Iowa Wild. So uh, the NBA and NHL team both have their minor league affiliates in Des Moines, Iowa. And so there you go. That's... Uh, that's uh, the Iowa Wolves. Okay. Uh, let's see. Can I get this one out of the way real fast? And uh, you know what? Let's let's go to a, a more a talk that we can actually discuss here. All right. So, uh, as far as the news is concerned, actually no. Wait, let's do a Gottlieb's goons because I remember. Uh, I think it was you, Charles, that posted uh, Rex Ryan. Rex Ryan was your goon. Oh, okay. So I'm just going to lead into this. <laughs> Rex Ryan, you are an overrated coach or was an overrated coach. Yeah. You were a great defensive coordinator. You were a flash of the pan. It's not to take away from your success. You as an analyst make no sense to me. So when you start playing GM mode and you start attacking a guy who really doesn't have any credibility concerns to the point where the team's reporters have to be like yo check this check this man put him in his place please because what happened was amari cooper the premier free agent for wide receivers signed a what was it four year hundred million dollar contract or five year hundred million dollar contract with the dallas cowboys and you know everybody it's the cowboys so we know that his career is just gonna go downhill anyway um there's a be no ring sorry it's not gonna happen jerry jones is cursed but Amari Cooper, I liked him in Bama. I thought he got a terrible shake in Oakland because it's the black hole for a reason. You lose your soul in the process. <laughs> and, of course, you know, Gruden comes in with his whole tirade of we need this. And mind you, they could have perfectly used Amari last year uh, to help them out go from 79 to maybe a playoff team. But whatever, I'll, I'll digress. They're probably going to get Jerry Judy from Alabama, and that's a different story for a different day. So Rex Ryan basically calls Amari Cooper a turd and says, I want to pay this turd X, Y, Z. Oh Mind God. you, all of the NFL season, and I'm not going to bring up, I'm not going to try to put salt into the wound here because he hasn't done anything recently. But if you want to talk about a wide receiver in the NFL who has been a turd, an AB is worse than an AC. And Antonio Brown has been a turd for all the situations that happened. Not an Amari Cooper, a guy who showed up, play his games. I understand the whole basis of it was Rex was dissecting his play and saying that he couldn't match up against true number ones. Yeah. But, you know, that's the 50-50 thing. Sometimes it's just you're just beat. But as a wide receiver, and look, pre I'm going to pre preface this right now. I do not play real-life football. My most football knowledge 
college, like a lot of people in this world come from probably playing Madden and being a fan <laughs> of the sport. So congratulations, we're all the same. But you could be a wide receiver who is blocked out from catching the balls because you have a great number one going against you, whether it be Marshawn Lattimore of the Saints or Jalen Ramsey, now the Rams with the Jacksonville Jaguars, who used to shut down like AJ Green all the time, and a few other guys. But if you can still open up the field to have a safety defend you as well, the double team, or you know, confuse people in the middle, the slot nickel corner or the other number one receiver or number one cornerback to allow the number two receiver. And all that team last year was what, Randall Cobb and then um I forgot there was another one in my oh um Michael Gallup allow them to kind of spread the ball around you're also kind of doing your job you're really a turd wide receiver if you're a prima dama like a former cowboy wide out by the name of terrell owens mm. or guys who are consistently plagued by drops you're going to pay them out not a guy who hasn't been arrested exactly that's that, that's what some people have said is like this is like one of the few cowboys <laughs> players that hasn't gotten in trouble with anybody has been very right. uh, very cordial with the media. He's been available. I mean, he's had his injuries, but he's been ma- he's been made available. He's had some like bad games, and he still makes himself available and talks and everything like that. He hasn't done anything egregious. He's just kind of been playing his game. He's, he played a, a good season last season, uh, and and yeah, Rex Ryan tried to walk it back and be like, well, I mean, I was just trying to say this and that. I'm like, okay, that's fine, but you don't have to go like and call somebody a turd. You can just be like, I don't think he was worth all of this money, and. You know, you can put it in a more professional manner, especially you're on TV being an analyst and stuff like that. Um, and I, and I, I guess that's I mean, it probably is a slip of the tongue. And even though it probably not, I mean, this is Rex Ryan we're talking about. It's, it's not. This is, this is Mr. Not, this is Mr. I mean, Fo- Mr. Foot Fetish we're talking about. So you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. But let me tell you why it's not with him. He has been a professional coach. He was a coach. Of- the New York Giants. He was coaching the Buffalo oh, Jets. I'm sorry. Yeah. Redaction. Yeah. New York Jets. He, he, I got caught up in the Buff fumble. The Buff Buffalo fumble. Bills. You know what he's known for? You know what one of the things you're trained to do inside of the big uh, media market like that is you're learning how to talk and articulate and to channel and just cipher and analyze. And he's been an analyst for several years. Yeah. It is not a slip of tongue. I mean, granted, he'll be like, you don't know me, and that's fine. I don't know you, but you have had a lot more experience of how to talk to the general public about analysis versus everybody else you have just become what the problem of modern media and sports world is is just you shoot negativity from the hip and you can't go oh this is my concern it's not about being articulate or about being eloquent you have just allowed yourself to be kind of covered in the vacuum and the filth of what is wrong with sports analysts today from yeah. and you know how i feel about a lot of people skip bayless Stephen a smith all this other stuff you want to use these hyperbolic words you want to shout you want to do all stuff or you just want to insult people that haven't caused any issues the problem is you literally picked the wrong guy i i mean i've always liked amari cooper i've never felt like so impassioned to go on a gottlieb boon aside from the gottlieb boon that what created this and that was around andrew luck stuff when you're telling a guy you can't walk away from the field don't ever tell a grown man what they can't do if they haven't done anything wrong and now you're going to call a guy it's hurt and here here's a thing too understanding this is that there's been a lot of problematic wide receivers throughout the years of the history of the NFL. And so when you have somebody, just because he might have gotten overpaid, 
doesn't really mean for you to use a derogatory comment. And I know it's a turd. He didn't call him anything else. Turd is a turd. We know what a turd means. It's not bad, but it's uh, unless unless Amari Cooper didn't return your late night text because you want to get the in on what he's doing in his contract stuff and ruined you and whatever kind of benefit you have ESPN being their insider or their analyst, um, is it's just not needed. And I think you do contrition. And look, it's not going to be something where you fire a guy. So like that's it's not like the guy who called yeah. Mayfield an effing midget. Um, but it's just like, why are you getting paid? Why does he like? There's so many other people that they can hire into to talk about what a wide receiver's position is and if he deserves uh, money, like Jerry Rice, yeah. like Michael Strahan, or not Michael Strahan, Michael, my, my Michael Irvin, all these other people. How about this? Let's just actually have people who play that position talk about what money that person got and let a coach talk about coach firings because he should understand because he played with a lot of good wide receivers on his team San Antonio Holmes, Blacksville Burris and a few other ones that understand the concept of a number one can get overpaid but if as long as they're getting distractions because you're not always going to win every matchup this is not Madden on easy mode against mm. your kid brother where yeah. you guys going to have 300 yards a game a guy who has helped propel Dak Prescott to get 4,000 yards, his highest uh, passer rating. And yes, a lot of it's on Dak too. A, a, a Dak, a lot of it was on the system. Granted, you can't move the ball, but that's every game. You know, the 16-0 Patriots where they were an unstoppable offense was an anomaly. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I not, mean, not to get defensive against Rex Ryan, <laughs> but that's just my position. <laughs> I mean, Rex. Oh, boy. Okay, so that... Rex, you're the, you're the goon. You're the goon for this week. So, I mean... Yeah, you're, you're you're the goon, you're the turd. Just just take your turd sandwich and and eat it. <laughs> okay, uh, one last topic I wanted to get to just to finish this out. So guys, there has been a proposal according to Buster Olney, and Andrew, uh, you just had a conversation with um, Dark Sage. who was kind enough to comment earlier about the Masters. Uh, yeah. uh, possibly being moved to November, which is kind of ludicrous to think about. But uh, Major League Baseball and all these other leagues are trying to do what they can with the remaining time we have left this year. And Busteroni said that there was a proposal to have all 30 Major League Baseball teams play out their schedule at Chase Field in Arizona. Ugh. And surrounding. And the surrounding, yeah, ball, because yeah, of the spring training complexes in the Cactus League. So... Um, I have many thoughts, but Andrew, you were talking about it, and I want to get your thoughts first. Uh, I mean, I want baseball back as much as the next guy. Um, and, you know, it would in a way actually be a positive for baseball because it'll likely be the only sport going on at that time so viewership will be through the roof right and people will begin to appreciate baseball again for what it is which is an awesome sport um oh i didn't realize that be you um so if it can be done safely I'm all for it. Yeah, the logistics are kind of weird. They're, they're saying that basically the players will be in a kind of in like a closed bubble type of thing. I'm, I'm sure they, they would contract some local hotels to basically just house the Major League Baseball players. And um, baseball players basically would 
like not have any contact with the outside world for a few months and just being bussed in and out of the ballpark in their hotels and i guess people would bring them their food and all that stuff it's a whole that's, thing that's a, that's essentially what's going to happen the players will only travel to two locations their hotel and a, and a ballpark that's it yeah uh everything will be brought in for them uh dugouts will not be used everyone will sit in the stands six feet away from each other um they'll start to implement uh electronic strike zone so umpires don't have to st- uh, stand near the, any players uh, oh, man this is it just it, it doesn't even sound normal anymore <laughs> Like I would, I would rather that the players be able to be with each other, but just have them tested uh, initially and make sure that they don't go outside of the bubble. Uh, but well, that's that... another thing. Um, another thing that they're doing is they're going to. Well, one major part of it is they have to find a way to not only have testing. Hmm. But it has to be quick testing, and it has to be testing that isn't taking away from the general Populous. pool of testing for, right. for everyone else. Right. No, no special treatment in a sense. Right. Um, I. So this is my proposal, and I, I, I'm only doing this just to. It's not like a bias thing, but it's uh, okay. So you have. You have the spring training complexes, okay? You have uh, the Cactus League and the Grapefruit League. Florida, Arizona. All the teams out in Arizona. Basically, you would have to redo the entire structure of Major League Baseball, in a sense. So, um, instead of American League versus National League, you have Eastern Conference versus Western Conference, much like the NHL and the NBA. All the Western Conference teams are all the Cactus League teams. Okay, no divisions, just straight up 15 teams on that side and all the the Grapefruit League teams, 15 teams on the other side. The Cactus League teams will play out in the spring training complexes in Chase Field out in Arizona. The Grapefruit League teams, spring training complexes here and either Tropicana Field or Marlins Park here here in Florida. And then once the season, they, they figure out how to do the season, there will be no interleague or interconference, no traveling. Uh, basically, whoever comes out of the West will play off, uh, play against whoever comes out of the East, and they'll play a neutral site game at uh, the new uh, the new ballpark in Arlington for the Rangers. Neutral site game, and then boom, that's the season. That's my idea. Just to uh, have the Florida teams not have to travel all the way to Arizona, and God knows nobody wants to be in Arizona during the day. Um, at, at any point, actually in Arizona at all during the summer, even at night, because I have been and it's freaking miserable. I think Chase Field would probably be the only venue that they could do it at because being at night uh, in these those outdoor spring training complexes is going to be miserable for those players. I mean, yeah, at least in Florida, it can be kind of bearable at night here, even with the humidity, uh, if you do the spring training complexes here. But you could just have two sites Tropicana Field and Marlins Park they're both covered and you can do the same thing out in Arizona or maybe you have well, f- four different sites and you, you use one of the uh, one of the Texas stadiums or whatever 
I don't know. Well, Miami would probably not be tenable for a couple of reasons. One is... Um, mm, that's interesting. Maybe at Dodger Stadium to compensate for the lack of All-Star game. Okay, I wouldn't um, mind that either. Well, uh, two... Well, a couple of reasons. Hmm. One, Miami Day is the hotbed. <laughs> That's true as well. It's too many That's people. One. <laughs> and then two, um, Tampa is in closer proximity to more spring training stadiums. That's true as well. So. I, I was just saying, then, I mean, Marlins Park, I mean, the, the benefit of it is that it's a newer building with better facilities for the players. Right, but that has to be outweighed by, you know, like I said, Miami-Dade is definitely the worst county in Florida. And, I mean, I don't know the statistics, but it's probably up there nationally. I, I, I would... I would assume that if they were to do this, you'd have to look at the just just so that there's no rain delays or anything else. It would have to be the ballparks that do have roofs. So um, right. the two Texas ballparks could definitely work too. Um, so I mean, I think it is technically possible. Or Milwaukee, Milwaukee could also pull it off. But I don't know if it should happen because at the end of the day, you don't want to endanger the players or their families. Oh, no. Of course. Yeah, that's um, – and that's probably why baseball is only trying to do a single venue or area with Arizona. But Right. But I think the maybe the happy medium would be Texas – because Houston and Dallas aren't that far away from each other. They both have covered uh, retractable roof stadiums. And you could potentially pull off the season and just have and make sure that the players do stay in their bubble. Uh, nobody comes in contact with them between Houston and, 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 and Arlington. So and it, it would give the baseball an excuse to show off the new ballpark in Arlington, even though nobody can actually sit in it. <clears throat> Um, okay. So, uh, any other thoughts about this proposal or, or these, a bunch of other proposals too? I think the, like we, you said, the NHL is also thinking about doing this. Um, hmm, I'm, I'm not sure. You're not, not going to help the world deal, I think. And this is me getting philosophical waxing here deal with what's actually going on here if you're going to try to expedite getting back into the norm <sighs> that's true as you well know, that's just uh, that, that's just my opinion on it it's not it, there's so many other logistics show. too to think about and i've thought about this too um because look baseball games can last a, a long time so you have to think about 30 teams 30 teams sharing one or or maybe two facilities or one area whatever what have you um, if they're sharing one ballpark, let's say in Arizona, um, or all those other ballparks there, they would have to try and figure out a way with the schedule. Um, if games start to last in going to extra innings, they'd have to think about scenarios where 
you know, we can't have these guys playing uh, an 18 inning game. So we're going to have to start thinking about maybe having ties as part of the schedule just for this weird season. And at that point, you might as well think of having a point system, much like in soccer or the NHL or the NHL and changing the schedule to changing everything to, to kind of accommodate that, too. Um, so baseball would have to severely think about how they're going to run games. Like Andrew, you said that, heck, they're not going to they're going to have an electronic umpire, which I think the Florida State League was about to implement this season um, as well. Um, because I don't want those guys, especially in Arizona, freaking Arizona in July, if they're doing, if this goes in July, they, God help me, it doesn't, but, um, in June, uh, <laughs> the 14th inning of a game and it's a hundred degrees outside at 11 o'clock at night. Like, I, I don't think anybody would want that at all. Um, right. I, I don't, th- and that's why I'm, I'm thinking like Arizona in the summer is kind of, I, I can get Texas. I think Texas would be a happy medium between Arizona and Florida um, than, than anything else. Um, or L.A. because the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Angels. I think the Dodgers haven't had a, like a rain delay since like the 90s or something. It's been that long. Um, yeah. Um, but, of course, L.A. is a massive area. So maybe Milwaukee. I could see Milwaukee too. Uh, not as big of a population, has a retractable roof ballpark, um, and I'm pretty darn sure they find a way to accommodate everybody. Um, see, because Toronto would be too much of a logistics thing with the whole passport stuff, and I'm sure Canada will accommodate them. But still, see, you know what kills this though is very simple. What killed the NBA season? Players Rudy Gobert. Positive. Yeah, Rudy <laughs> Gobert. Exactly. When you that's a player of the decade this is all this is all he's good at making sure he's not gonna have mics right um but what's gonna stall all these talks or just end all these talks is when it does come out that one of the players well they had the minor leaguers but you know it's minor yeah. league whatever right uh, but let them, let, let the major leaguers get it and then i'm not saying listen forever who just came in on that i'm not espousing that at all yeah. i'm saying that once a major league player gets it then it's just it's all over. for not yeah. the season and if anything instead of trying to enforce an expedite a season because here's the thing i would be even though and this is just to my understanding of the of the cv here is that they say it's predominantly can kill you know the elderly whatever but there's still going to be people in the age demographic that are actual mlb players and if they run the risk of it they get it and then they die and then it, it spreads to a contact you can be better off just putting a timetable. Put a timetable. Say, listen, if we can't see what the situation is come June, you can survive the season from July to October. People don't want to say that you can, but you really can. All we complain about is baseball's too long to begin with. But it's a small sample size. So what? There's going to be a lot of inflated salary. But it's either that, like a very small sample size and a very small 50 games in the season, or you don't have it at all. So hmm. be patient because I think what's going to happen is – in this world people look to what other organizations that you know are doing as examples and you're not sending the proper protocol message by trying to rush us all back look hell we got march madness canceled right yeah i i that was a cold day in hell the ncaa being the morally corrupt uh best 
of evil that they are, um, they did it. So MLB doesn't have to kind of reach that standard. I understand that there's money that's going to be lost, but here's the thing. MLB, Money's already been lost, so at this point. Yeah, you're not you're not the only... Guess what? Your owners get to survive the next day. There's some businesses that if it's done, it's done. Don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Okay. I guess, uh, I mean, we'll probably be talking about this again soon, so... Let's uh, let's head on over to uh, the real MVP, Andrew. Uh, as always, you always lead us on to, to thinking the real MVPs out there right now. If you're there, do you hear Andrew? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, can you thank the the real MVPs that we should be thanking every week and every day? Absolutely. Our real MVPs are the frontline workers. Are uh, members of the healthcare system, mm. our doctors, our nurses, uh, people working at restaurants, people working in grocery stores, uh, whoever is an essential worker right now, our mm. truck drivers, uh, even all the way down to, you know, the people working for Grubhub or yeah. Instacart. Gig workers, uh, anybody that's, uh, people in the hospital that you know that that are cleaning up after things uh, and you know, you know they call them orderlies and things like that um administrative people as well uh people behind the scenes making sure everything's running smoothly on the technical side it people out there <laughs> especially it people with regards to uh keeping uh, people who work at home and things like that uh keeping those things going um and then also um the the doctors and everyone that are coming out of retirement to help yeah oh yeah uh, yeah you know they're under no obligation i mean i know some of them have been essentially like conscripted into service which even still you know appreciation to them but especially the people who out of a sense of duty have who've been retired for god knows how long yeah said, I need to do this. I need to help. Yeah. And, and they're all of them, everybody. Um, so, um, yeah, so many people. Uh, I'm going to highlight the one that I chose for this week um, that's separate from our, our well, everybody that Andrew just mentioned. Um, he's, uh, he's one of those dirty Houston Astros, but he isn't dirty about this. Justin Verlander. Awesome. Okay. Uh, what, did, what did he do? What did he do? Joking aside. Yeah. Aside. What did he do? So Major League Baseball players are still getting their paychecks. And right. Justin Verlander is donating his paychecks to the, to, the, to the cause, to the fight. So all of his paychecks are going straight to anybody that is, or any organization that is helping fight the virus right now. That's awesome. So that's... Um, that's what he's uh that's what he's doing so it's justin verlander okay props to him yep yeah i'm, I'm good job banging my trash can in, in appreciation right now <laughs> okay any anybody else if not I will, we'll, uh, nah, okay i think we covered a lot today uh, yeah we'll, we'll close it out so thank you to everybody that came on by freddie bu dark sage uh for, for, for watching us. Thank you to Eve Online and Elder Scrolls Online. We got two different sponsors today. That was different. 
Uh, so we'll, we'll be, we'll gladly, yeah, we'll, take it. we'll take those pennies. We'll take those pennies right now. Uh, Andrew and Charles, thank you guys as well. And um, we'll see what goes down for for next week. We'll, we're, we're figuring out different things to talk about. We, we haven't, uh, we, we haven't run out of things to talk about yet. You know, so. Now we'll do another rabbit hole episode and we'll come up with a new Netflix, <laughs> a new Netflix pitch for Charles. I, I definitely can do that. <laughs> okay. Adios. Good night, everyone. Take care.